Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 16 of the Intermission Podcast, the show where two film students discuss classic, iconic, and obscure films from times gone by. We're your hosts, Oscar W. Fitchett. Oh, Rob, it's for you, Dale. Hey! It's, hey, been, it's, been, it's, been, it's been far too long. It's been it's so, been it's been so long. <laughs> the last time we did an episode, episode 15, we recorded back in like early January. I think it got uploaded oh, yeah. like in February, March time. But mm-hmm. uh, it was our top 10 films of 2020. Yeah. And then here um, we are. Here we are. We're back. Back. I've got a cool mug. Got a cool Infinity Gauntlet mug. And I have an eight. I'm eighteen. Pint glass. He's eighteen today. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, but um, yes, few things we need to get some housekeeping before we. Yeah get on to the film in discussion uh first of all i am now over 24 hours removed from being double vaccinated double dosed i am now fully vaccinated give me a few Mm -hmm. weeks and i'll be up and running and the reason why and the reason why i say that is because it wasn't it wasn't a fun morning for me uh it's a groggy grogginess i'm okay now i'm all right now Mm -hmm. but if you see me popping pills, it's painkillers. I want to say that. <laughs> I want to say that now. It's painkillers. In case um, if this takes, in case of the headache, re-emerges. So, yeah. just so you know, if I'm going up, oh, that's what it is. I don't want like another. Yeah. I, I don't want a situation that happened with Eurovision where they were like, "Was that man sm- snorting cocaine?" No. But, <laughs> No, I'm taking, I'm taking painkillers. Uh, get get vaccinated. <laughs> okay. so, so what you're telling me is you're not dropping any number on me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not yes. dropping. I'm not dropping acid while we're <laughs> while we're on the intermission. Um, okay. Another thing I want to say is, um, no, we didn't even. There's no reason for me to bring this up, but I'm going to anyway. We didn't. We didn't oh. announce this was going to happen. Months ago, we record our commentary for the Snyder Cut, and oh god, there's been audio issues with that. That's long story short. I'm working on it. We're working on it. We're trying. We're working I, on it. It was my fault. It, it wasn't really I, your. Fault. It wasn't. It wasn't really anyone's it fault. It wasn't my fault. My scratch disc got full at uh, three hours and fifteen minutes. Long story. Sorry, sh- long, long story short. We haven't got the last hour of Robbie's audio from yeah. <laughs> from the Snyder Cut. Yeah. I'm going to try and work on it because I think it was a funny commentary. That was the first. Yeah. T- that was the first time. You know, I think that that was the first time I ever got that drunk. I uh, we were really so, drunk. It, we literally got Thinking a point. About it, of course we were, because we were drinking for about five hours. And now that I think about it, one of my favorite moments in I'm going to say it now was because I just got a bottle of Jack. And just red cups. And that's what we based off. We just got some red party cups. Because our thought was like, if we're going to watch the Snyder Cup, I'm not fucking watching this sober. That was literally our yeah, opinion. Yeah. opinion. And there was one point, I was self-pouring it. Robbie 
doesn't have any measuring in this flat. I didn't have any measure with there was no, I wasn't measuring this drink. So I was just going, that's about right. And at one point I poured a glass, a cup, shall I say? And I went, Robbie, I went, is that too much? And then Robbie went, that's far too much. I went, that's why I've been pouring for the past three hours. So I got very, very, <laughs> very, and Leo had made an appearance. That was the first time. He came in for the for the ending. And yes. he probably another bit as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he dropped like halfway through. He dropped off our Chinese. <laughs> oh yeah, he dropped off our tea, didn't he? It was a, a fun it was a fun video. It was, yeah. So I want to try and get that out at some point, but now it's so far gone, we're not gonna worry about uh because the plan was to get on the view count, wasn't it? That's not going to work the plan, out. The plan was to release it as quickly as possible because it was in that weekend after it first came out. Easter. So we were of, planning on releasing the Easter, yeah. Yeah, to try and, you know, get the YouTube algorithm and get a few more views or whatever. Um, we are way past the point of no return with that. So, <laughs> so, so that'll come out whenever. So that'll come out whenever it come out. And now another bit of explanation. This is more yeah. relevant to this specific episode. Mm-hmm. This format might look a bit different. I don't know if yeah. we're I don't know if we're in the dual screen recording at the minute, but when I when I when I looked through the test, it was one of that said recording where like if I'm talking that it's my screen, then if you're talking, it's your screen. Uh, so okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this looks. But yeah. let's explain what happened. I'll explain my side <laughs> of the story, which is yeah. the build up to it, and then your side of the story. Yeah. Long story short. We were meant to record the plan. We were going to, you know, June, we were going to have June off. We finished uni early June. My birthday was June. We were just going to have a, yeah. we were going to have the month off not doing anything and just mm-hmm. chilling, relaxing, whatever. And then our plan, Robbie, was to get back on a mission in July. Yeah. Um, so not too far off our one year mark of the podcast, because yeah. our one yeah. year, the, uh, the very first episode was The Godfather, and that was yeah. released. June 20th, 2020. So, so the plan, so we were going to be a bit late anyway, but we were thinking July and we, we got the schedule. We know the films that we're doing. That wasn't the issue. Yeah. We yeah, got yeah. the list and the plan. Yeah, when I was drunk. Yes. Which, which is good. I'll explain at the end, at the end of the yeah. episode, we'll explain that. Um, and the plan was going to be right. Once Robbie knows his work schedule to some degree, we'll then work around that. And we'll do do it like we did last year, where we did weekly, at maybe two twice a week. We'll record, yeah. and then what was then discovered? Robbie then told me my microphone has been left in Hartlepool, so uh-huh. I can't. I went, okay. When do you get your when do you get your your mic? When do you when do you go back? Twelfth of twelfth uh, July, I think it was. You said uh, it was meant to be the twelfth of July. That was the plan. So then yeah. we were like, okay, then. And that was like two weeks away at that point. So like, okay, we'll wait two weeks. It's fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, once you come back, you get your mic, and then we can get going with this. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not going to get too much into this next bit, but just Robbie had an isolation issue. <laughs> well, so um, I can get, I can get into this. I don't yeah. think anyone would be particularly. No, honest. no, no, no. It's... Um, I was watching the semifinals of the Euros at my friend's house. Um, and there was, there was, uh, how many of us? There was 13, I think there was, altogether. That's what you um, said, yeah. And uh, 10 of them, uh, so the next, the, the next day after the Euro semi-final, 
uh, a friend of ours uh, said that she she tested positive for COVID, uh, which wasn't good. And then subsequently, everyone started dropping like flies um, until about two days later, uh, 10 of the 13 people tested positive for, for COVID, right? So I thought, I, I didn't test positive, I tested negative, right? So I thought, oh, okay, well, I've got to do the isolation anyway because surely I've got COVID, right? One of the people, by the way, that got it was Julia, uh, my girlfriend. And I went out for tea with her the next day because we didn't know yet. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, oh, I'm pretty guaranteed to have COVID here. So now I was just sat around in my house for 10 days waiting to start coughing and stuff. And it just never happened. I never got it. Um, so that was good. <laughs> so the delay of Robbie getting his equipment furthered. And yeah. then we just never really communicate. I don't know why. We just mm. didn't. So, yeah. so our bad <laughs> on that side of things. Yeah. Our we, bad. I didn't I didn't get back in contact, Robbie, to say, have you got did you get your shit? And Robbie did come to me and go, I got my shit. So it was just a combination of neither of us communicate with each other for some reason. Uh, <laughs> it's not like I was doing anything either. Um, so, yeah, I was famously not doing anything, being stuck inside my own. So eventually, Robbie went back, got his shit from Hartlepool. Yeah. Went back to Cottenham. Yeah. And then we were, then I went. And then we did this organization last week. We we're like, right, we'll get started. We'll do this. We'll do Vertigo uh, mm-hmm. this week. Maybe the other one the same week. We're not. Yep. It's peep around the curtain. It doesn't matter to you a lot. It's each week, no matter what. But we, all, we, we organized the schedule. It's all fine. Mm-hmm. Watch. I watched Vertigo yesterday mm-hmm. as in a time recording this. Organized to go on call at one o'clock. One. Then, yeah. then I get a message from Robbie. I believe at twenty past eleven. Yeah. Tell, telling me that he has that like right. So here's the situation. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. I've yeah. got me. I've got. I watched Vertigo. I got all the notes down and just realized I can't find my mic. And then he told me that. The mic has been left at Hartlepool. Yeah. And I so Liam about it, who I'm living with next year. And he said, oh, I'll go check your room for you. He went in and he was like, yeah, it's here. And now that you say that, I specifically remember your mum coming in, holding the microphone and going, he's not going to need this, is he? So mum moved it, basically, is what happened. So Mrs. Tweedell has sabotaged the admission to some extent. Yes. Not- Thanks, mum. So... How we usually record these episodes, we usually we usually are on Skype. That's just usually the, form, yeah. the, the software we use. And then I record the video through Skype. And then yes. we both separately record our audios with oh, our own yeah. audition garage band with our own microphones. And then I sync it up in post. What mm-hmm. we've had to do now, we've had to you, bust up Zoom because Zoom's a better recording for podcasting than Skype is. And yes. we're just fingers crossed that the Zoom recording doesn't conk out on us. Yeah, so it doesn't do- stop. This is uh, compl- also- this is completely yeah, so- new to us in the yeah. sense of for the intermission. We're gonna see how it works. It's the best we can do. So I'm obviously recording through my microphone, but th- through yeah. Zoom, Robbie is using his inbuilt 
computer microphone. I'm literally just recording through my computer. So if I, if my audio is horrendous, I apologize to anyone uh, listening. So this, so this is the best we can do at the moment. Hopefully, hopefully, someone tells me we might still be recording by the time you get back to Hartlepool. Someone tells me that might end up happening. I don't yeah. know, though. Yeah. So maybe, hopefully, the later episodes within this next batch of intermission should sound better. Would be better because we might be in person by then. Yes. I'm definitively as well, by the way, I'm definitely going back to Hartlepool on the 4th um, because we- me and Julia are going to a concert in Newcastle so I can get my microphone on the 4th. So we would definitely... De- so- what, so you're staying, uh, so you'll just be back in Hartlepool, did you say, or did you say I you're just going to... I won't be staying there, but I'll understood. be there can, Understood. I can bring my mic there. So the, so, next few, should... so, so the next few episodes might be a little bit choppy, but just yeah, yeah. deal it, with it. It should be, I mean, if we're recording them weekly, it'll be the next three. Um, depends how many we fit in a week as well. It depends we'll on how many we fit in, so yeah. But yeah, so that's the deal. That's all I need to say about that situation. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything? Did you were you going to say something else there, Robbie? Oh, I have a general PSA. Um, I'll probably do a I'll do a reminder at the end. Um, so I am uh, on the 29th of August. Uh, so in I don't know two two weeks, I think two two weeks on Sunday. Yes, it's not next Sunday, Sunday after. Yes, it is. Um, I'm playing a charity football match. Uh, for uh for Mind the mental health charity. So um, basically, I, I don't I don't know if there's any like specific way to donate specifically for the thing we're doing, or if it, it's just donate to mind. Um, but yeah, if anyone uh, can or wants to uh, donate to mind, that'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, it's for a very uh, kind of close cause to me, so that'd be great. Thank you, if you wouldn't mind. Great stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a reminder at the end before I go, but yeah. Cool, cool. So that leads us on to the actual episode. What what an intro. That might be the most lengthiest intro we've had. I don't know. But either way. Probably. This this feels the most like professional one as well. I don't know why. Usually yeah, it's just usually it's just us, usually it's just us, us bullshitting. I think the last one, the last one our seven samurai intro was just us like going like what we're we gonna do for Valentine's Day. And then that was just yeah. that was bullshit. <laughs> yeah. This time well, I have another thing to say. Go on. Before we go, um, I went to a, a ladies' day on Wednesday, which is at, like the, the races in Beverly, where they do the horse racing. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and it's a big day out for people. I was working, so I wasn't there, but I went to pick my friends up later on. And I saw at the pub a guy called Luke, who I haven't seen in probably about four or five years. And he came up to me and he said he really likes the podcast. So thanks, Luke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this, cheers, mate. Uh, I hope you had a good day. You, you were very drunk. Uh, <laughs> nice one. Yeah. And speaking of drunk, this is how we got on to the episodes. Yes. I'm not going to do a big reveal of all of them just yet. But basically, uh, what but basically what happened? I wasn't sure what what films we were going to be doing this time around. Mm-hmm. We could call it a season. Why not? Why not? Yeah. At this point, this is technically season three. Sure. <laughs> I yeah. think it's technically season three. The, the second season was kind of a half season, wasn't it? In a yeah. sense, but yeah, it was we'll a half season with a couple of specials. It was <laughs> Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah. yeah. So we knew when we wanted to record, we knew we wanted to get uni out of the way with good job everyone for the crime pilot. Thanks stuff. Cheers, everybody. Um so we knew we wanted to get that out of the way with we knew we definitely wanted to keep doing this, obviously. 
obviously. Uh, we didn't have dates set in stone. And the other thing we didn't have set in stone was films to talk about. Yes, I'm watch. A big thing with this, isn't it? So, yeah, it is really, yeah. and so I had a load of films in mind that I wouldn't mind talking about, but I didn't know how to pick them. So then I then went to, I messaged Robbie one night and was like, Robbie, I'm going to give you a load of names. So I gave him a load of actors, directors, and genres. And, yes. I went, and I went, pick 10 of these. And that's the films. Robbie picked them. He let, he let told me he picked them when he was very drunk because that's when I messaged him. Yes, I was in, when you messaged me, um, I, was in the, I was in a cubicle <laughs> about six pints deep. So, so I, picked, I picked these very oddly. So this decision was very much so based on a drunken Robbie. However, he didn't know the films. He just picked actors, directors, genres. And the very first one we're talking about, he picked Alfred Hitchcock. You all know it. You see the title. This episode, we are going to be discussing. I'm going to go back in. Get ready, get ready. Ah, the 1958 romantic thriller Vertigo. Nice. The film is directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Alec Koppel and Samuel Taylor. It's based on the novel. The Entre Les Mort by Pierre Boulou and Thomas <laughs> Nakajak. It's written by two French people. <laughs> the film stars James Stewart, Kim Novak, Barbara Bell Geddes, and Tom Helmore. Uh, the plot synopsis of the film, according to IMDb, is a former police detective juggles wrestling with his personal demons and becoming obsessed with a hauntingly beautiful woman. What a strap line that is. That's a, yeah. pi- that's a pitch line to end all pitch lines, that is. Um, accolades that the film holds of it is that it has a 94% on Rotten on the Tomato Meter and an audience score of 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it has an 8.3 out of 10 on IMDb, placing it at number 93 in their top 250 films all time. And it has a score of 4.2 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd, uh, placing it at placing it at number 166 in their top 250. And it is ranked number one in BFI's Sight and Sound Top 100 Greatest Films of All Time, dethroning Citizen Kane, which held that spot for like decades, uh, as of 2012. As of 2012. So next year, the BFI will update their list and we'll see if Vertigo can hold its place there. Um it was nominated for one Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Directorial, Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures. And it was nominated for two Academy Awards, including Best Sound for George Dutton and Best, uh, bless you, Art Direction. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Vertigo in terms of how it is encapsulated. Um, this is the first Hitchcock film we are discussing. Before I get on to my thought, my our initial thoughts, rem- I want to remind people, if you're new to the podcast, we discuss these films in all sorts of spoiler details. So if you haven't seen Vertigo, or you don't really care about it, mm-hmm. you know, leave, leave, come back, whatever. So yeah, with that being said, now, mm-hmm. my, opi- my initial opinions on Vertigo, um, this is a Hitchcock film that I saw a little bit later in terms of 
my Hitchcock delving and delving into right. his filmography. Hitchcock was one of the directors that uh, was one of the early directors that I really got into when I first started getting into films because I heard right. about Alfred Hitchcock and I didn't re- and I hadn't really watched older films at that point. So mm-hmm. Dial in for Murder was actually it was my first Hitchcock film that I saw. I watched it when I was like 16. And it was like kind of my first film from the 50s that I saw. So I've all, so I kind of then, and then I watched 12 Argument, obviously, and then got into that shit like that. But Hitchcock for a while, like in my early years of becoming a film fan, was kind of like my main source in terms of watching older films. Like if I was in the mood for an older film, I'll watch a Hitchcock film. And Vertigo, I watched... I can't remember if I watched it before or after BFI named it number one. I watched it relatively close to it. So 2012, I think yeah. I first watched Vertigo. And, I'm, and I've now seen it three times. Three, four, three, three and a half times. I've watched it first time and I liked it, but I, didn't, I wasn't necessarily really into it as much as I was into Rear Window or Dial in for Murder or even The Birds. I actually liked The Birds quite a bit when I was younger. I haven't watched it for a while, but yeah. Um, and then I, second time I tried to watch it was with my then girlfriend and she was into it. She then fell asleep halfway through. So I just turned it off because there was no point. Um, I was like, there was no point me watching this really as such. Uh, second time I watched it was with my mum and my dad, a little bit awkward, not for any specific reason that the film's an awkward film to watch, but I was sat next to my dad and I could tell my dad just wasn't into it, but he's... But he's so, but he's someone that doesn't say it, and he's not a big film person anyway. But mm. he enjoyed some like it hot. I'm not saying these are two similar films, but I'm saying it's an older film that I didn't think he would be into. So I thought, ah, oh, maybe this might be the same thing. And yeah. I could just tell he wasn't into it. Just wasn't yeah. into it at all. Uh, so a bit awkward in that sense. In the sense, it's it's always awkward when you're watching a film with someone that you can just tell they're not liking. Just yeah. always is, and so yeah, this yeah. is my so this is my third time watching it in full. Watched it yesterday, and I think this is the most I've appreciated it. If I'm being honest, I think this is uh, the 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 most I've liked Vertigo, and yep, yeah, uh, as I've said, I'm certainly not new to Hitchcock. Certainly not new to him. I haven't seen all of his films uh, by any stretch of the imagination. He's done a lot, but I've seen quite a lot, and. I think this is a very, I think I do feel this is an essential Hitchcock film. No matter an opinion based on it, I do think if you kind of want to get into Hitchcock, this is kind of the essential, this is a essential Hitchcock film. Not sure if it's a great starting point, but I do think it's a really good, It you, you kind of need to watch it if you want to get into Hitchcock. Robbie, what is your relationship with Vertigo? Um, this is the first Alfred Hitchcock film I've ever seen. I've never seen an Alfred Hitchcock film before. Um, I've started with this one uh, because you, Fountain of All Knowledge, Oscar W. Pitchett, told me to. Um, <laughs> so, so I've now seen it. Um, yeah, it's... Um, in terms of every... Uh, all filmmaking aspects... Cinematography, the lighting, even some of the visual effects, which I want to get onto a little bit because I noticed some cool shit there. Um, it's great. It looks amazing. It's a perfectly made film. Um, I'm just kind of I'm a bit mixed on the story and the script. I'm very in two minds about it. Uh, but yeah, it, it's. I'm in. I'll be interested to see other Hitchcock films. I think. 
Um, but yeah, I, I had no idea what this was even about. So I don't, um, I, I have no idea what any Hitchcock films are about except Psycho. But the I, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I know that. I know, and I know what the twist is, but I yeah. don't know what. I don't know the, the the plot of any other Hitchcock film, including this. So I went into this blind, and um, some of the twists and turns work for me. Some of them very much don't, and I'm sure I'll get onto it as we as we go further through. But yeah, yeah. That, that's the general thought. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely like I've written I've written it at one point on one of my letterbox reviews. I think this is his most cynical film. This is like like I think I mean I'll get more into like general stuff like that about the film and general Hitchcock stuff, but he, I always find like, I always go to his films. They always feel like they have a bit of a warmth to them, even though they're all thrillers or that, you know, they're crime stuff. They all have a bit yeah. of like that, like warm blanket that old films have on it. You know what I mean? Where it's a bit yeah. like a charm to them. Whereas I think Vertigo definitely is one of the films that doesn't really have a charm to it. I mean, it has yeah. a charm, but it doesn't have like a warmth. Like you're not watching Vertigo with your nana, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like it's... it has a it has a charm in the sense that Jimmy Stewart's playing the main character, uh, but but like in terms of the actual content and the context of the film, I, yeah, it's a bit bit bleak, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> our second Jimmy Stewart film, first one we watched, it's yeah. one. It's a Wonderful Life, two completely different roles. <laughs> so yes. so uh, I'll go through my notes and as usual, mm -hmm. I'll end at a certain point. You could chip yep. in and then I can... How many notes do you have, by the way, Robbie? Um, quite, quite a few. I've got the... Um, I'm, I'm, no one will be able to read this, but I'll, hopefully, because I don't want to spoil it, but that's... that's okay. a, I, this is not really helping. I've got about... Uh, three quarters, of, yeah, two thirds of a screen of notes on there, and about uh, three quarters of a page. I've got three and a bit A4 pages. It's not brilliant. Also, but, no one questioned why I've done half notes on the phone, half notes in a notebook. Don't question. Uh, leave me alone. I, don't question. <laughs> okay, I'll get through one page, and then we'll meet up till that point of the film, and. Yada, yada, yada. So the first note I've got is, so the Soul Bass opening credits with the Bernard Herrmann score is kind of perfect. I, I yeah. like, Soul, Soul Bass is, I mean, I did graphic design in college, so I'm very well aware of Soul Bass as an artist, and I'm a yeah. big fan of his artwork as Robbie is displaying it in his background. Uh, audio listeners yeah. going, yeah, Soul Bass did that. Um, he also, what else did he do? He did, he did Anatomy of a Murder, he did the poster mm -hmm. for that. He did a lot of title sequences and posters and stuff with this really cool pulpy style. And I just kind of love that look of shit like that. Has he ever done a Bond thing? I think he might have done. I think Solbass might have done a Bond yeah. thing. It feels yeah. about right. It feels like yeah. Yeah. And Bernard Herrmann, one of my favorite composers. He's Hitchcock's main composer. Um, yeah. But he also did his first score was the Citizen Kane score. Uh, which we talked about Susan Kane earlier uh, in the, on this channel. And he also, and his final score was for Taxi Driver, which is another one of my all-time favorite scores. So he's, 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 a, he's, a big, he's a big name in the composing game. And his music, his score, which I fucking love. It's a good score, man, in this film. Um, that with the Soul Bass opening credits. It's just kind of like a really class way to open a film, I think, with credits. Um, kind of a big, 
I mean, no, I'll save that. I'll save that. I've got another point to make. I'll save it for that. Um, uh, I haven't necessarily. I oh, know I did. Uh, but this is all. I, this is a comment. This is a. Eh, sorry, apologies. I'll blame it on the second vaccine jab. Um, I. This was also within a note that I made within the opening credits played. I said, I've been reading uh, Uzumaki recently, which is a Japanese manga written by Junji Ito, uh, a horror manga artist. Um, uh, uh, So the spirals in the credits are very relevant to me right now. Uh, Instantly set in the dizziness atmosphere. Basically, the whole premise of Uzumaki, I haven't finished the book yet, but this town is kind of like um, being affected by spirals and okay. it's weird for me to say it just like that but it's mm. like a simple thing where like people kind of get transfixed by a spiral whether it be a spiral in someone's hair bone or a spiral of a snail shell and then some wow. people some people get obsessed with spirals to the point where one guy was like i want to become a spiral and he ended up like fucking breaking his body into becoming a spire it's it's grim horror shit and it's uh, it's really effective horror stuff so that just kind of like it associated with me and i was like oh yeah i didn't put two together necessarily in the sense of like obviously there's a lot of spirally stuff it's quite dizzying and obsession is also a big theme in this film as it is in junji ito's manga so i need to read up more if junji ito was influenced by hitchcock in any way because when you when you read a junji ito manga he's very much he was going to be brought on to do the creature design for silent hills before that got cancelled so think about like he does like that shit more so but yeah um so that's just one thing i wanted to throw out there um Oh yeah, speaking of Bond, I put uh, I love how we're instilling the action, like after yeah. the opening credit. It is kind of like it's like Bond opening light, isn't it? Where yeah, it's it just is. like credits end, and then there's a chase scene. Yeah, it's just pretty cool. I don't know, I like it a lot. And of course, then I've got in all caps the push and pull. Of course, yeah. it's it's the classic thing. It's one of the yeah. fir- it's one of the first camera trickery things I learned when I first picked up a camera and wanted to try to really learn filmmaking. Yeah. You learn a thing where you zoom in and then you move the camera out, or you do the other way around. It's yeah. really fucking cool. I, I used it in uh, my first short film, but you'll never know because I did it on just a blank white background. So what's the point? So it doesn't it doesn't really do anything. It was like a guy, it was, the shot was like a, a close-up of my friend. Yeah. But the background was just a white, it was shot on a photography studio, so it was just a white background. So you'll never know that I did one. But I did. That's I, funny. It's funny as fuck. The fact that... <laughs> completely useless. So you just zoomed into your mate, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. But obviously it's now, you know, Spielberg got it with Jaws, other yeah. fucking films. It yeah. James Wan's used it really effectively, actually, in, in in Insidious. He did it really well at the end of Insidious, actually. My, my uh, most recent one that I can think of will be Guardians Together of the Galaxy 2. Yeah. When Chris uh, Chris Pratt finds out his mum's dead or whatever. Or like yeah. that Ferrisol killed his mum. Spoilers yeah, for spoilers for Guardians 2. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's a great effect. And this was the first, obviously... It's push and pull. It's known as someone else. Some people call it the vertigo effect because it was done yeah. first here. It's really cool. Uh, I just have to shout that out because it's class. Um, then after that scene, we then get the scene 
with him, with Jimmy Stewart. Scotty is the character's name, or Johnny. He's Scotty, mm-hmm. but his name's Johnny, but his nickname's Scotty. I don't get it, but it is. Uh, it's him and his friend Midge, who's meant to be his college, old college friend, yeah. because because Jimmy Stewart is clearly the same age as that actress. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, like, when they engaged at some point. Yeah, yeah, they said yeah. there was after like a week or so. Was it a week? It was somewhere like that. <laughs> Can't remember. Uh, uh, and I'm, I've got here in a note: uh, Hitchcock never holds back on the mise en scène. And Midge's apartment is no exception. So you've got the sketches just cluttering her works area, and then yeah. like away, it's just clean. I, 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 I like shit like that. Again, mise on scene stuff. It's cool for filmmaker and all that bullshit. Um, and Hitchcock does it very well. It's obvious, I think. His his films are very obvious in that sense. Um, but yeah. It, like, because you always hear me's on. Obviously, me's on scent is in every fucking film. Obviously, yeah. it's a lot. A lot more films taken more subtly. But even though, as I said, this may not be. I personally don't think this is necessarily a great start-off point for a Hitchcock film. Uh, mm. I still think this looks like a Hitchcock film, no matter what. Like visually, it, like you're just gonna get these types of visuals from Hitchcock. You're gonna get really cool me's on scent stuff. You're gonna get certain camera movements. It, it's not any different really to any of his other stuff. And I think this is a really good example of it. I don't think it like real window is kind of the same thing in the yeah. mise-en-scene stuff, not just the fact it also has Jimmy Stewart in it as well. Um, uh, I got here. The dialogue is kind of tell, but I find it works for the stylistic fifties thriller. Even the mundane scenes with Midge and Scotty just talking um, a la Aaron Sorkin. I feel like it's a bit like because I also watched a few good men for the first time recently. And there's just they they just say stuff. <laughs> just say stuff. And it's the same thing with this film, I think. I think there's a lot of them just saying stuff. Yeah. Just so the audience could understand things. Like yeah. we learn we like we learn their backstory pretty much instantly, I think. Yeah. We could have told it. <laughs> it's not it's not natural, I don't think, but no. I think it kind of works yeah. in it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I it doesn't put me off. It doesn't stand out like a sore yeah, thumb. I think it didn't. It didn't like put me off as in being like, oh, shut up, tell, and all that jazz. I, I, it didn't really bother me. I, thought, I think, I, think it, I, I don't. It things like that don't bother me in older films. I don't know why. Same. Yeah. But in in like older movies, I don't really care. I think especially with this film where it kind of has such like the visual look and everything about it almost feels out of our reality anyway. Yeah, like it yeah, doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't look like ah, oh, that looks like down the street. That does. It just kind of. Yeah. It, it, it looks. It, it looks. looks like- it looks scripted anyway. Yeah. So like, I'm fine yeah. if Jimmy Stewart is like, yeah. Let me just talk about my backstory for a bit while I'm just walking around the apartment, make sure the camera gets everything about the location. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. care. It's fine. You know what I mean? Hey, I feel- the Suicide Squad. I'm <laughs> one. Just gonna put that one out there. I know that you liked it, but. I- I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but you would. I, I didn't love it. I will say that I didn't love the Suicide Squad, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. Anyway, I, I, I'm going to stop. I was going to become. <laughs> I was going. It's going to become a full conversation about then. Um, yeah, <laughs> keep on talking. Yeah, I'll keep on talking with this, so we're not like losing track here. Um, 
Here's what I got. Uh, it's interesting to look at the cinematography from this time period. It's in between the very stationary wide tripod shots from early cinema, similar mm-hmm. silent films, uh, and then goes right into a more um, inventive camera angle we are accustomed to today. Hitchcock blends a theatrical style, a theatrical stage aesthetic, uh, and POV with angles uh, only a cinematic story can show. So the point I'm trying to make there is like, I like the fact how, again, this is only like, it's only done then back in that time period. And they really only should be done in that time. Like we, I don't think we should go back to this style where it's a lot of just camera wide, just kind of following. It's very stagey. It's very like we're watching a, we're watching a stage play. And Mm. then it goes from like him. Um, and then he's like, oh, I'm going to test my vertigo, see? And then he's stepping on the stepladder. We're still just that wide. But then when Hitchcock needs to evoke a different type of feeling, we yeah. he then cuts into mediums on Jimmy Stewart, mm. high, high mediums on Jimmy Stewart, and then the vertigo, like, looking down again. And then so I find it like, and I think that kind of makes those moments a lot more noticeable. And a lot more like visceral. Yeah, like, like I again, I use the term cozy and warm because it just feels like you're just for a while. It just it does just feel like when you're just watching them talk in this very yeah. just like staged angle. It's like, oh no, I feel like I should be relaxing on a nice comfy couch with my feet up at a cuppa. Like, yeah. And then when we get to like the close-ups, it's a lot more like, oh wow, like that becomes the more yeah. thrilling. I think that. That's quite interesting, that because you kind of because films aren't shot like that now. We've had to come up with different ways to make certain moments feel like the moments you should be paying attention to. Whereas this film does it quite easily by just have most of the scene set up on a tripod, pretty static, and then every now and again going for these close-ups or do these weird doy zooms or a weird over-the-shoulder thing. And those are the bits that are punctuating and stay in your mind because they're different to what was initially quite a static way of shooting. I quite like it. It's not very much, there's not very much movement in this film, is there? I think. No, like, there's not loads. But when it it's, does happen, it's quite like, ah, oh, you know, it's yeah, the yeah, yeah. No, I I dig it. I like it. Um mm. yeah, making it more thrilling and noticeable. Right. <laughs> Eleven minutes. Um, 11 minutes in, and I find it interesting how a film from the 50s, from 50s Hollywood, is exploring the fear of an adult man. That's one thing that caught my eye for a bit, where, like, again, this is the first time I'm actually breaking it down and analysing this film, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Like, our leading man for 11 minutes, we're just watching this man just deal with height, his fear of heights. Yeah. Like, we didn't see that. I mean, we... We don't really see that totally often now where it's like, no, our leading man in this Hollywood film from the 1950s mm. is his characteristic. He's he's vulnerable. Yeah, it doesn't really happen as much. No, but it doesn't play it off like, oh, you're weird. It's sympathetic. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's, but he's not, he's not a hindrance as well. He's not, it's not like he's weighing yeah. everything down. It's like, He's got this fear of heights and his friend Midge is there to care for him, but he's also just kind of still getting on with life. Yeah. It, 
it's uh, I'll get onto this in more detail later on. It is that is his whole fear of heights thing and the vertigo thing. Um, it's it kind of feels like a ticking time bomb the whole time because it's not an inconvenience to him where it keeps cropping up throughout the film, and because of that, you're kind of waiting for some really big thing to happen where he's not going to be able to do something because he's scared of heights or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get on to whether I think that pays off or not later on. <laughs> but, um, uh, spoiler alert, I don't think it does, really. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's 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 cool to have it be sort of, like, used as this kind of shadow that looms over the whole thing throughout, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of waiting for something bad to happen, which I know is a kind of a thing that... I know that Hitchcock has talked about that before, about the whole thing with the bomb under the table. Yeah, like, he lets you know that there's a bomb, so then you're always tense in the sense of, like... Yeah. Fuck! This could blow in any minute. Exactly. Um, as opposed, kind of yeah. Um, uh, the Scotty and Gavin scene in Gavin's orphans is a masterclass of blocking. I'm just yeah, like, like yeah. I broke that down when I in production one when I was yeah. researching, directing, and blocking for the Muse because obviously yeah. the Muse is a one location thing. So I was trying to like look into like. Oh, how blocking is really influenced, like how that can tell a story. And I can't, I'm not going to just repeat shit because there's a really cool, cool video. I think Nerdwriter did a video on the blocking oh. of this scene. I think it was Nerdwriter, I can't remember. But how like, it's exact moments of like, when each character moved to a certain point, the other one moves to another point because then that oh. emphasizes this other point. Or like when Scotty sits down and then Gavin then it's it's just really good shit like yeah. it, it, it may come across as nothing to some people in the sense of like uh, it's just them in the room talking and walking around and sitting down but i think yeah. it's great it's amazing it's brilliant because it's so subliminal in the sense yeah, of like it's subtle like we were aware of the shifts in dynamic and the mm-hmm. shifts in tone in the conversation because yeah. of how we are psychologically watching the scene play out, I think. And I think it's just a fucking yeah. cool scene. It's kind of a, it's kind of flipped from the last scene. Like yeah. when we were talking about how a lot of the storytelling there is done by just, they say the thing, they say what they're on about. Whereas in this, it's kind of, there's a, there's a difference there in how he's telling you the dynamic of the situation. Yeah. Which yeah. is, Cool. Again, cool. kind of theatrical as well, and just everything. It's, yeah. it, everything's clearly a set as well, so it's yeah, yeah. Which I think I like that shit as well. I like stuff like that. Yeah, um, I, I, I do. I I love a good naff old set. Yeah, like you can tell. It's like yeah. I, I, there's a reason why I'm watching this because I want to be escape. I want to escape into a world that's been exactly. told, and I think yeah. this film does it very well. I think. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, I said yeah. I also like how we're exploring a man. It kind of follow on to my point about how Scotty just has this looming fear. Uh, I also like how we're exploring a man who not only has a major phobia, but also has never married, but is not looked at as an outcast, and he is respected by many of his peers. Like this is like a character you think in the fifties, typical male. T- typical male in this time period is like, oh, he should be married. He should have married at least by now or like yeah. have kids. He should be strong and all that mm. shit. He should be the leading man, but he's not that, but he is. 
Like he's not, yeah. again, as I said, he's not a weirdo or an outcast. He's like, he's being called upon because people respect him and he's, you know, he's, he's a normal person, which I, you don't see that a lot with films in the fifties, I think. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, this might be a little bit after his time, but I kind of associate movies of this era with like, like your Humphrey Bogart type of guys where they're mm-hmm. kind of perfect action heroes and just the coolest guy or whatever. And it's like, yeah. they're boring. Mm-hmm. I like, I liked Jimmy Stewart in this. I thought yeah. he was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to the end of my first, Almost coming to the end of my uh, first page of notes, I got here. The use of color in Vertigo might be my biggest celebrity crush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got specifically the scene, our intro to Madeline with the red fucking room, the Ernie's bar, Ernie's restaurant, and the green I, dress. I can't wait to talk about that. Because I've got a very specific note about that because I thought it was really cool. <laughs> uh, it's just... it. And the color palette, I forgot that. Ah, oh, I mean, to look, I meant to look this shit up. Can't remember mm-hmm. though. It's a certain color palette where they use the two colors on the color reel that are opposite. I can't remember yeah. the name yeah. of it. Yeah. But like, you know how you get the teal and orange look. That fucking. It led, it led to us getting every every poster being teal and orange for like the last fifteen years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Red and green's my favorite <laughs> of that shit. Yeah. Not yours uh, as such, but. Yeah, because I can't see. Them. You can't but, see yeah. them. You can't yeah, see them, but, but oh no, it's just they're just such striking colors. And again, that scene, ah, fucking love it. No dialogue needed, absolutely no need, yeah. none whatsoever. Um, yeah. and also, I got an on top of that, I got a oh, Jesus Christ, hang on, Mike's having a fit. Oh, Christ, oh. not the I mic itself, the mic stand. Oh, we keep this in, probably, Robbie. I'm not. <laughs> There you go. You see a glug, 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 glug. tighten that. Brilliant. Uh, no shit. You can do it, mate. I believe in you. There you go. Right. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on top of that scene, I got and and Herman's score truly ties that scene together. Um, it oozes with classic Hollywood romance with no dialogue needed, making up for the tell from earlier i think that's what i mean if you ever have a problem with the telling this film give it like five more minutes and you're just going to get like an absolutely incredible section of no dialogue yeah yeah. and just pure visual magic i think really yeah i'd agree with you and my final point for now before i hand it over to you is i'm finding a great appreciation for this now i'm studying it slash breaking it down kind of like citizen kane like this is just pure. I, I've got this is just pure classic Hollywood. Madeline in the flower shop. That's what it was. That specific scene where I'm like, it's just the lovely bright colors. It's just it just just I can't explain it. It's yeah. just it just feels and sounds like when I was younger, what I imagined the movies being, the motion yeah. pictures. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like it's exactly like that shit. Uh, they, it's very pastel as well. Yeah, yeah, it's just, and you know, I'd much prefer to have other men. And this, I don't say this in a negative sense for Vertigo, but with we're still recording, so we seem to be good. Okay, I think we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about everyone. Um, we were, um, that was it. I, th- what I say with 
12 Hungry Men is that 12 Hungry Men is very timeless and it doesn't really like stick. Uh, it doesn't really plant itself in a time period. Vertigo, right. Vertigo does. I don't mean that in a negative thing. It's just a really cool way. Because again, we don't see this stuff often enough now because yeah. we're not in the 50s. And if anyone does this style now, it'll just come off like you're just trying to be like Alfred Hitchcock. Right, the, where like yeah. it's just really cool to watch something that's so of its time, but so incredible at doing yeah. the shit of its time. Yeah, so, yeah, that that's that's my first page. Um, yeah. uh, have I? Yeah, okay. My final point because it's the first point of the second page, but it ties everything together and that. Um, mm. No, actually, it won't. Don't worry about it. It will follow my next okay. point. So cliffhanger okay. till when I go on to stuff. Go on, Robbie, your notes. Um, so I started off with, uh, and I think you're going to appreciate this. My first note is little James Stewart mustache. Because, you, you, you know, in the opening titles, uh, it's like, it, I'm guessing it's Madeline, I think. It's like her face. I think so. Yeah. 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 The, the, <laughs> one of the first shots is like a shot of just her nose and her mouth like this. And then James Stewart just appears. That's right, yeah. <laughs> like, like just above her top lip, and I just thought it was really funny. Um, it's pointless. It was a pointless note, but I just thought that she had a little James Stewart mustache, and that was quite funny. It's what you come uh, to. It's what you come to for the intermission, everyone. Ah, yeah, yeah. Really analytical, good shit. You know? Um, another really analytical note here. Titles were pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been over it. They're they're, they're sweet. I really yeah. liked it. Stands up, stands up. It's like you can put that against any title sequence today. Yeah. And it's like it can top a lot. Yeah, like it it's got the similar I love a, I love a full open title sequence. One of my favorites is um The Muse. Yeah. yeah, the Muse, yeah. Really big fan of the Muse. That one that I did myself. Cash if you um, can, yes. No, that's a great Cash one. Yeah. That one is really cool. I really like that one. Um, so this is I I have a lot of questions about some of the effects in this movie. I'm guessing we'll, there'll be some bits about it in trivia. There's some. Um, there's some. So, the, so the, the, the first Vertigo effect that we see when he, and I'm guessing like the, the subsequent Vertigo effects as we're going through, is that a dolly zoom on a miniature? Yes. Okay. I thought it was because I thought I was like, that looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. They I, were... I, didn't, I was like, there's no way that they would have actually been able to hang it off something. Like, like, so, you know, okay, so it is on a miniature. Yeah, yeah. That's sweet. I really like that. Um, my next note is also a question. Um, did, is it Midge? His friend's Midge, isn't it? Midge, yeah. Midge, yeah. Did Midge invent the sports bra? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit where she goes on this whole thing about how, like, she's made this brassiere, as she calls it. Um, that, that's what bra is yeah it's a bra yeah, yeah. Um, where it's like it's got really good support and it's really good no straps and I was like ah oh, she she invented the sports bra well done <laughs> well done me yeah, yeah um, she would have done there you go yeah well done um, I'll put Jimmy Stewart is, is fantastic I, uh, I'll, I'll get more to him in later on in the film, but he's really fucking good, man. He's, he's, he's so very good. good in this. And like you said, different to where the only other time I've seen him, which is, is a wonderful life, 
Um, and I'm getting a real kind of appreciation for him. I'm, I'm excited to see him in more things, which I'm sure I will as we go on, because I know that you like uh, you like him quite a lot. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll probably fit him in something. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I'm getting a very little affinity for James. James. I wouldn't mind doing a... I'll plant this seed in there that we usually do. I wouldn't mind talking about the Philadelphia story, which is a rom-com from yeah. 1940 based off nice. a play... And it stars him, Cary Grant, and Catherine Hepburn. Okay. In almost like kind of like a love triangle type of thing, but it's funny as fuck, man. It's really cool. It's really fun. That's it's it, it's really fun. yeah. That that'll be something I wouldn't mind getting to at some point. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I say about why was climbing a stepladder so intense just then? Yeah. Because it was really like I don't know why it was, but like. I think, I, think yeah, I was going to say, I think what it is, is because it is the closest where we have a close-up on Jimmy Stewart. And then we get to a yeah. close-up of him stepping on the step and then yeah. back to him talking, then back to the step. It's like, it's and not like, I, it's, it's not like we just have a close-up on Jimmy Stewart just walking up the stairs. It's like, Jimmy Stewart, now his feet going on the step. You're almost waiting yeah. for him to slip. Like, I think because it's progressive as well. Because the way that, like the character himself frames it and says, oh, I'll do it as like a progressive thing where I'll go up one step and then I'll go up the other. When, I, when I'm used to it, I'll go up the next one or whatever. Because he's, because the script as, as well as the direction and everything has framed it as being a progressive thing. When he's going up one more step, you're like, this is going to be one that fucks him. He goes up another one. Oh, this is going to be the one or whatever. Like you're, you're on the edge of your seat with it. And all literally all he was doing was climb the step ladder. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty sweet. I really appreciated that. All I'm um, saying is, all I'm saying is, Hitchcock isn't uh, labeled the master of suspense for nothing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. So um, I didn't, I didn't do any notes about the um, the scene with his mate. I don't know why. Apparently, I've missed that. But when they go to um, when they go to Ernie's, uh, I've got in capital letters Alfred, which oh, yeah. I. So I tried to do it. I was going to do it in the Batman voice, but I've, I've balled it now. Um, but it's, uh, Alfred, <laughs> Alfred, like that. Good, excellent, good stuff, everyone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that that was Alfred. Here you go, corner. That walks across the screen. Before he in the scene of uh, him and his um, in Gavin's um, office, you mean? Possibly when he's going to get. He's, Going inside somewhere and there's like an exterior. Show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been walking through the door and someone walks past on the street. That was Alfred Hitchcock, aren't I? I just made that up. Yes, he has. Okay, he has multiple cameos in his films, and he just always yes. looks like, and he just looks like Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, every time. Yeah, like, it, like he doesn't dress up. It's just Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because that's something that I noticed a couple of times, actually, is that one of his favourite things to do when starting a scene is an establishing shot and just one person walks by on the street to look like the street's got a bit of life in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's only just one guy. And it, I, I, it's charming. It's funny. Um, yeah. I guess because he oh, is maybe doing... I did, maybe I didn't. I was going to say, I guess because he is doing a lot of shots just in sets. He almost wants, here's the exterior. Yeah. This is where they're at. Now let me go in the set. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I put as well, this this is the only uh, note that I've made in that scene with his friend. I said, is this movie about ghosts? 
because I didn't I didn't know what this movie was about. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, is this about ghosts? Is that what this is? I was very confused um, when he was like, yeah, my, my wife's been possessed or whatever. And you're mm. supposed to just kind of accept that. I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, I guess. Um, but yeah, that long take in Ernie's when we first get there is awesome. It's so good. Where it starts, <laughs> it starts on him at the bar and then pulls back and then you go right the way through the bar and to the table. Ah, it's so good. It's so well done. It's like, so... and I don't know how they would have even done that at the time, because they wouldn't have had like a steady cam or whatever for a guy to be walking. Would it nah. have been on a track? Yeah, it would have had to be. It would have probably been on a track, wouldn't it? Yeah, would have had to be. Yeah, but yeah. I just it it was like that's amazing, mm. and it took me off guard more than the very famous one from ish the same ish time period. But like when the one in Casablanca going through Rick's bar, it, that the one that one there at Andy's blew me away more than that did. Mm. Um, I don't know why it could have just. I think it was the movement of going in like a U as opposed to it just being one straight line. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure, but it it was really really cool. Really appreciated that. Um, so the shot that this is what I was going to say about the shot where we're first introduced to Madeline. Was it, um, and because I think he's, I think he does it a couple of times in the film. But when we were saying about the color, is that a use of light? How because, so? So the 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 red in the background seems to get brighter, mm-hmm. and I I don't know if it was the fact that they had red lighting and they were increasing the brightness of the light. To kind of punctuate the moment because because there's a bit later on um, where him and Midge go to that guy that knows the history of the place and as he's telling his story the light seems to dim down mm. and then when they get outside the lights come back up again in the inside the shop. If I'm being honest, I didn't quite notice that actually. Yeah, but... I, I I don't. It could it could just be something to do with the film stock or like. Yeah. The exposure on the camera or something like that, but it, it was really cool, and so, so that's why I know that was supposed to be, and this might be why the the romance element, which I'm I'll get into later on, the romance element really doesn't work for me, um, but the, um, and it's, that was probably supposed to be him realizing how beautiful she was, like the first time that he saw her, sort of thing. yeah, yeah. Whereas I took it as she looked over to him. And it seemed like the lights were getting brighter and brighter behind her, which made me think, oh, shit, is she realising that she's being followed sort of thing? And then when she goes to walk off again, it seemed like they got dimmer again. So I was like, oh, she's starting to clock on. Oh, no, she's like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Was what I took it as. But then that that might be me just reading into it in a completely different way than you're supposed to, which would make sense. Um, yeah. If the rest of the movie worked for me like it was supposed to. So, Yeah. Interesting, I thought. Yeah. Um, but the next bit as well, that the shot in the the flower shop, the, the flower shop itself looks amazing. Like it looks so cool. And those shots looking through the door and everything, like you were saying, it's very classic Hollywood. Yeah. It's so nice. I love a good frame um, within a frame. A frame within a frame is just, oh, uh, it's good shit. Yeah. Well, the, the one bit that, like, 
was that kind of blew me away the, the most in that scene was that you know that one shot where you see Johnny or Scotty or whatever looking through the door and next to the door is a mirror and you can see her in the mirror and you can see him in the door. Yeah. Very nice. I liked yep. it. I also couldn't tell if it was a real mirror or not. Yeah, no. <laughs> because it looked like it was a shot that they'd taken of the actress that plays Madeline and they just projected it onto a thing that made it look like a mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it was, um, then I have like a weird little point about Alfred Hitchcock, um, which I'll go, I'll, I'll probably go into in more detail later on. But like, he, this weirdly to me is something that I picked up on with it. It's kind of like the first, like the earliest thing I've seen of being a little bit like a virtual production. Like, you know how The Mandalorian is shot now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they've got their weird LCD screens and the director and the art department and everything have full control of what that background is mm-hmm. because it's made in a computer and you can do, you have to make everything there. You don't, it's, there's not like presets. Um, I thought it was interesting that as, I, as it was going along, like things like that, if that mirror wasn't a real mirror and it was just a projection, that's like a visual effect that Alfred Hitchcock has used specifically because he wanted that specific shot. Yeah. And then as well, I mean, later on, there's a bit like they're talking outside Johnny's like house or something. Uh, and there's a close-up on, on Madeline and the background is very clearly not the background that was there. And that's not a set that was shot on location. So he clearly wasn't happy with what the background was mm. and have swapped it out for a projection afterwards because yeah. he wanted a very specific thing. So it's quite weirdly similar yeah. to that sense, which I thought was, I don't know, I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought that's cool. Like, yeah. obviously, I'm getting into my visual effects stuff now um, because I'm a big old dark or whatever. <laughs> but I, like, I now pick up on things like that and I'm like, that's, that's really interesting mm-hmm. to me. But um, I think I've, I think I've met up with you now. Yeah, you've caught I've, up. I caught think up, I've caught maybe. up. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Right. Still within the scenes of him following Madeline is where mm-hmm. I'm at with this. Um, cool. I've got um, at this point, the narrative is transitioning from a story about fear into one about obsession so meticulously. Like it's no dialogue. We're viewing from afar and we're cutting to Scotty to always be in his head. Like, cause this could have been very well. I've just been like, oh, let's just do over the shoulder shit. And Let's just yeah. see where Madeline is. Where Madeline is never like. We never get a close up of Madeline. Never. It's always from like yeah. afar, as if we are Scotty, and we yeah. always and he always makes sure to cut back to Scotty. So we're always seeing his expression and seeing like mm. just his face, as if like yeah. And it's always within the medium to medium close up stuff, isn't it? That we never like. Yeah. We don't. We don't even get a wide on him, and I just think that's really like again. We st- this film could have very well been. Ah, oh, it's a film about a man trying to like get over his fear of heights. But now we're kind of like. I remember first time I was watching this, I was like, "Oh, so it's the Vertigo thing that you're just the beginning." Because mm-hmm. by this point, we're now like, "Oh, this is just someone who's now gradually becoming more and more like infatuated with this woman," which yeah, 
kind of has a bit of an unpredictability because you almost thought like, I thought the film was going to be like this. And now it's kind of going into this direction. Oh, let me see where this goes. Yeah. Which I kind of, I appreciated, but then also didn't, I think, by the end. Mm. Because I think I thought that when he was following her and we were getting those close-ups on him, I thought he was more confused at what she was doing as opposed to being infatuated by her as he was going along. I could understand that. Yeah. I think it was a bit of that. I think it was a bit of both, probably. Yeah. So it's it. one of those where I'd probably appreciate the film more a second time, I feel like knowing the full context of what it's actually about. I, I think I think that's why I watched it with that in mind, because I knew where the story was going to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to top that bit off, I got... Um, and that Herman score, oofed. Specifically, mm. specifically the dramatic cue when Scotty notes down the, the name on the grave. Oh no, we kind of get this like do 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 like this almost like yeah. like slowly building up, and then he like looks at the grave and it's like <laughs> it's you know it's it's good <laughs> shit. It's again, it's good classic shit like that. Yeah. that I'm and it works well. I think um, the next point I've got is the uh, in the art gallery scene, the very first time we see. Um, the, the very first art gallery bit. Can you tell what I yeah. used for my mood board for the muse? Yeah. Yes, I can. <laughs> just run out there. It's just it was it was big inspiration there. Um uh, and again, drawing back to the Junji O Uzumaki, I've got here um Scotty looking at Madeline's spiral hair bun. Um is seriously drawing parallels to Junji Uzumaki, and I go, need to read more into that. So I don't know, especially. So yeah. again, I think it's more so because I'm literally reading the graph, the, the manga at the same time as like kind of like watching this film. And it's almost an identical shot of where we go into like the spiral of her hair. And there's an exact yeah. panel in the manga where someone sees someone's hair bun in a spiral like that. So obviously in the film, it's more right. relevant it's more relevant in the sense of like, he looks at a bun and then he looks at like the painting's bun. But that's what that's the relevant yeah. to. But I guess me, what me watching this film and reading Uzumaki, I'm looking at it also more in the sense like, is he almost getting more hypnotized by her presence? Right. Like, okay, uh, yeah, like, yeah. like, but again, that's just because that's a literal plot element in this manga I'm reading. So I don't know if that's mm. also meant to be a subliminal thing within Vertigo. As opposed to just being like, yeah. see, it's the same. But yeah, yeah. it's cool little storytelling bits, I think, like that. Um, yeah. Got note down here, about 40 minutes in. And one thing I've noticed is that Hitchcock could merge so many elements of Hollywood storytelling seamlessly into one. Examples being noir mystery, whimsical romance, atmospheric horror, and captivating drama. Um, yeah. Drama escapism. Um, I guess that's how him and Spielberg are comparable. Um, in the sense of like, I think. Um, oh no, hang on. That's I skipped a line in the sense of same scene the one, no our mystery, whimsical romance, atmospheric horror, captivating drama. It's not naturalistic at all, nor is it trying mm. to be. It's try it's pure vintage escapism, kind of like how Spielberg just goes pure vintage pure escapism for his stuff. Yeah, he does, yeah. Especially with yeah. the 70s and 80s. 
I think. And I think, like, because it's interesting, because Spielberg is very, being very known as saying he's a big Hitchcock fan. He's a Hitchcock's a big influence to him. And I, yeah. I've all, I've always been able to understand that, but I've also kind of been like, well, they're not really comparable in the sense of like the films that they make, and they're not. I don't think. Like, I don't think Vertigo is like a film that Spielberg's done. Nor do I no, think. Exactly, yeah. Nor do I think Spielberg's made a film like Psycho or anything. But I think no. the elements, the com- the comparisons could be that Spielberg. He makes films to like just get you to escape from your reality, no matter what they are, no matter what they are. And I think Hitchcock does the same thing. I, I mean, well, Spielberg, he can either do, I'm going to do this alien film with E.T., or I'm going to do this big dinosaur film with Jurassic Park. But then he could also do a film with Catch Me If You Can, which is based off a true story, but he takes it and makes it such an almost pulpy thing to where it just feels so detached from reality. And like to, to me, the, I'd say the comparable bit would be like this kind of whimsical feeling that it gives you. Yeah. Like a Spielberg film to me, as you know, as a massive Spielberg fan like I am. Check out the Jurassic like Park the, episode. Check out the Jurassic Park episode, which I was listening to the other day, by the way, um, because I'm a massive knobhead and I love the sound of my own voice. Um, so... I, <laughs> so <laughs> Um, but yeah, like the, the, a Spielberg film has a very specific feeling to me that takes me back to being a kid. And like, I can see that maybe Spielberg felt the same way about Hitchcock films. And he kind of wants to recreate that same kind of whimsical, this is sp- a very specific type of feeling of a film sort of thing. And I could, I can kind of see it a yeah. little bit. And I mean, yeah, like, again, you in Vertigo alone, you watch it and it goes like, oh, it's got a bit of like pulpy film noir stuff with Jimmy Stewart in a fedora looking around and being like, yeah, well, I investigated this and then this and, you know, and then it's got this whimsical romance element to it where it's, I mean, we'll get to it where him and Madeline kiss and the waves crash behind them and it's all very, you know, romancy. And then it's got some atmospheric horror stuff with like the clock tower. Like the bell tower, yeah. should I say? Like within this one film alone, it just you get so many different types of feelings, and I just think like I think that's why I go to Hitchcock a lot because yes, he does a lot of thrillers, but his thrillers mm. are but like so does Fincher. But I'm not watching Seven, and I'm like I'm getting so many like vibes and emotions from this. I'm getting this dingy, gritty yeah. mystery, which is class. But I'm also not yeah. watching that. I'm not feeling entertained watching seven if you know what i mean vertigo i'm getting yeah. all these like different things like it all like since it is such this really stylistic pulpy look to like these bright vivid colors it still almost feels mm-hmm. like oh it feels like it brings me back to almost the warm feeling of playing detectives as a kid or you know it's you know it's it it is weirdly nostalgic without having a nostalgic connection to the film itself, I think. Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, and here's my point on Jimmy Stewart. I've got Jimmy Stewart is perfect in this film. He can do it all without being over the top and take it away from the very Hitchcockian aesthetic. Like he just he, he's a part of it. Yeah, like like it's a character film, but it never feels like he's he's like it's weird. 
it's a character film, but it's almost like no one watches the film for the Jimmy Stewart character. You're watching the film because, oh, this Alfred Hitchcock thriller. But yeah, I think, again, he could have very well have tried to make it the Jimmy Stewart film. But he doesn't, and he almost know, he almost knows what the film is. I mean, obviously, he very he's a very well aware of what the film is, and he's very well aware yeah. of how much he should be in the film. Because again, we could compare it to It's a Wonderful Life, where I think that's a bit of a combination of Capra and Jimmy Stewart. But there's a lot of Jimmy Stewart moments in that where it's like, you know, he's getting like where you highlight it as that performance by Jimmy Stewart is that's yeah. the film. Whereas like there's yeah. no there's no moment in this film where it's like, oh, that's Vertigo, but it's like, but it wouldn't be Vertigo without Jimmy Stewart, but it's not like it's noticeable, which is weird to say, I think. But yeah, I agree with you. Um uh, this is um a note uh regarding when Gavin is telling Scotty about uh, Madeline's tragic past. Um, I put, I like how people's life tragedies are treated as that uh, tragedies and not flaws or weaknesses, no matter how sad they are. It's like this shit thing happened mm. and it's bad, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's like, oh, but you're fucking like, you're, you're the random crying woman because that's all that could have been. Yeah. Or like, again, Jimmy Stewart's, like Scotty's whole thing with his phobia again as we discussed he could have been a quivering wreck all the time he could not have he, he very yeah. well could have been like I can't even get behind a wheel because I just feel vertigo it's not like that but yeah. I think it, but I think again oddly I, it feels kind of relevant in the sense like people who have mental health issues that's not their identity that doesn't yeah. equate yeah. that that's not like oh well you're fucked then it's like yeah. But it's not like, oh, but that's, you know, good on you. It's not like, you know what I mean? It's still like, it's still a bad thing, but it's not a thing that is treated as their characteristic almost. Like, yeah. like I never once felt like Madeline was, oh, the tragic female. Like, mm. I feel like she could have been a little bit more fleshed out, but I don't think she yeah. was, I don't think she was, defined by a tragic past um yeah uh the golden bridge scene uh i'm up to now uh the golden gate bridge the golden gate bridge oh my internet connection is yeah. apparently unstable thank you zoom um oh no apparently it's an error that makes uh, but the uh, the golden gate bridge scene where scotty saves madeline I've just got it's so iconic from a cinematography standpoint, and it and is the and it, that's the shift from fear to obsession. I think that the story like at that point we've moved from a story about fear to now. Right now we're in the story, the the films about the the the, the narrative based um, around um, obsession, and I just can't quite explain why I like it so much. So I'm not quite gonna like get into it as such. I think it is just very iconic in the film itself, almost as iconic as the push and pull effect. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it is the true yeah. like shift of the film. Um, 
And I'm going to leave it off at that point. I'll hand it back to you. That's not the end of my page, but I feel that's a good, that's a good uh, stopping off point. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I thought the, I, so again, like I was saying, I wasn't, I didn't get the obsession angle as it was happening very much. Um, I don't know why, but I just didn't, I didn't clock on that. That's what we were doing. I thought it was just him following her around and being right. interested by the things he was doing. Um, and even by that, I was still interested. Like mm. I was interested in the mystery. I didn't, I didn't get what was happening. Um, like I was trying to piece it together in my head and was like, but I, I, what, what's like, is she actually possessed by a ghost? Probably not. Cause that would be weird. Um, but then again, I don't know what this movie's about. So it, she could be, I guess. I don't know. Um, but like you were saying, when she's shot, she's never shot in a close-up. It's always really wide, far away things, which I liked a lot because there was a bit, specifically in the bit when she's in the graveyard, um, where I remember, like, because you can't see her that clearly, and I think it's because she has such fair hair that it kind of blends with the skin a little bit when she's yeah. in, like, direct sunlight. I couldn't tell which way she was looking. So like there was points where I was like shit, she 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 noticed him sort of thing, and that that kind of stuff I really enjoyed that because I couldn't tell if she was looking at him or not, which mm. I, I I appreciated a lot as being like that that's something that adds a lot of attention in and I really like it, um, but like the stuff with the when we first saw the painting, um, I thought was really cool and like when you start to see that she's she's got the same hair as this painting. And she's picked up specifically the same flowers as the woman in the painting. And then when they ask about it, it's the same name as the person on the grave. I was like, ah, see, there's dots being connected here. I still don't know what's going on, but like, <laughs> there's, there's dots of being connected. Things are happening, which I like. It, it's fun. Um, it's fun mystery shit that we don't see enough of today. A, exactly. It was like a genuinely fun mystery that I was genuinely interested in where it was going to go. And then when he went to the hotel as well, and uh. the room. She supposedly wasn't there, but the room that she was clocked into was had the same name as the woman in the painting and the woman on the grave. All very interesting stuff. I was very much into it. Um, I've got a note of cancel that lady at the um, at the hotel because doesn't she say something like, um, oh, it's a really nice name. Foreign, but nice. It's like, well, can't it be both? What's, what's, <laughs> what do you mean, lady of the hotel? <laughs> well, you know. Twitter, get on it. Or whatever. You, you look know. like such a sweet woman as well. What happened? Yeah, she seems like she was so nice, and then she had to go and be a bloody racist. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! Hey, it's the fifty. Um, it's the fifties in America. What are you gonna do? Um, like you said, the Golden Gate Bridge scene looks amazing. Yeah. It, I can't, it, like you said, I can't really figure out why, but I think it was that. That shot, like the really wide shot of far away, and you can see the, the bridge is like up here and it's like going straight over. Oh, it looks so good. It looks so yeah. nice. I think the colors as well. Because it, it the, 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 with it being shot on film uh, and being from the 50s, every color, when it's a block color, kind of looks like a bit pastely anyway. And the bridge, specifically being the Golden Gate Bridge, oh, it looked so nice. It was such like a nice little pastel red thing. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. Christ. Just fantastic. Uh, I don't really have any notes, but should I keep going for a little bit? 
Okay, yeah, go, and I can catch and I can catch up to you then. Go on then. Yeah, yeah go on then. Fuck it. Um, so then he, he takes her back to his house. Yes. Oh. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I um the first note I made was I don't like the romantic angle here. I just straight away I was like, don't do a romance because I don't. It's just weird because a he's meant to be like tailing her. And like this throws a lot of spanners and a lot of works if you're meant to be investigating her anyway. So it was a silly thing for him to do. And B, that's your friend's wife. And you know it's your friend's wife. And she specifically says at one point as well, I'm married. So don't do that. What are you doing? Stop it. It just made me like be like, what done? Yeah. Yeah, my my points with that scene. I, I got a uh, a little bit, a uh, few wanky color-based things about this. Where I got uh, first, I got down. Um, uh, I got uh, interesting that Scotty's front door is red, and this is the first mm-hmm. time we see it. You know, red equals love, passion, danger. Yeah. You know, all that, all that yeah. juicy stuff. Uh, and this is the first time we see his house, and it's the first time he's with Madeline. So it's, yeah. So it's it's yeah. almost it's cool in that sense. Um, I got uh, Madeline is no longer in her blue dress. Blue being can be in a sign of naivety, peacefulness, purity. Yeah. Um, but is now in Scotty's bed with his red dressing gown draped over her. And then she obviously yeah. then puts the red dressing gown on with him wearing his green sweater. It's a fucking, it's, yeah. you know, it's fun little, fun little symbol. Green could also equal envy and shit like that. It's, you know, it's all yeah. lovely stuff there. And then I also got the use of close-ups on Scotty and Madeline. It's such a contrast to the wider shots over the past 45 minutes that makes this moment so much more intimate. Because again, I don't think there's ever a wide shot in this scene. That yeah. one about no, where, it's, all, it's, all close up. it's close ups on them. Even when he puts the cushion down on the floor for a sit by the fire, we get a close up of the cushion going on the floor. It's it's all again yeah. since we've seen the film just a lot like this, just a lot wide, mm-hmm. and now we're in a similar type of scene where two people are in a one room talking, but now it's shot almost front on, so almost we're looking at them, and we're yeah, almost yeah. so it's. It's a nice little contrast to it, I think. But yeah. yeah. And then I've also got, also relevant to that scene, I'm not sure if you had any more specifically about I, I that scene. That scene no. I got uh, the performances in this scene is beautifully noir. It's very, Kim Novak is very, is uh, the perfect tragic femme fatale, I thought, very breathy and deliberate. It's just, yeah. again, I think if anyone did it now, it would be very, you would have to try to do it in a noir style. You need to be aware yeah. or it'll come off a bit hokey. Like the most recent example I can think of that, there is a femme fatale character in Brick from 2005 that right. that does the very breathy, slow, deliberate thing. So it's, you know, but it's obviously it's meant to be in that style. And it just, again, it just yeah. works so well. This isn't a film noir, although I, I think if you just literally slap this in black and white, it would be classed as a film noir. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you'd have to be a very specific actress nowadays to pull that off. 
I feel like someone would like someone like Scarjo could probably do it. I was thinking Pew, Florence Pew. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. Either Black Widow could do it. Either the Black um, Widows could do it. Yeah, probably not the first one anymore because she's not very happy. Oh, um, hey. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I've got <laughs> my next. Shall I go on to my next now? Yeah. I've got, the tree bit was cool. I like the bit of the tree. Um, where you like follow her finger and she's like, I was born like probably about here and I, then I died here. And I was like, eh. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. And no, I, I d- so then I, I was kind of like, is she convinced that she's her grandma or something? What's happening? <laughs> What's going on? It's yeah. <laughs> like I enjoyed it, but I was like, "What is, is like what is?" I was waiting for the kind of because to me up to this point again, I wasn't really getting the obsession angle thing, and I, I also um, I really didn't like the idea that it was going to be a romance, and so when it did this next scene and it wasn't very romantic, I was like, good, sweet. I don't think we're doing a romance. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Why was I wrong? Um, because this is kind of where it chops off for me as being like, I was really enjoying this to being like, I'm not particularly enjoying this anymore. I do um, think, yeah, I do think this is like the moment where a lot of people might be a bit like, either they're yeah. like, way, or they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the make or break. Um, I'm of course talking about when uh, when they kiss. Mm-hmm. Just I, why? Yeah, I'm not into it. There's not even anything in the scene that leads to them kissing. No, it's there like, isn't. It's not like they have a romantic moment with each other. It's just Jimmy Stewart's like, uh, tell me everything. And by the way, he's questioning way too much and way too quickly. <laughs> She, he does not give her an, a moment to answer any of the questions that he's asking. He's asking like 15 a second. Mate, if I did that as icebreakers, I'll get unmatched instantly. This doesn't exactly. work, mate. What are you Because <laughs> that's like, I mean, I know it's how people talk in the 50s. They're like, hey, and it's like, it's I, think it was just, I think it was just Jimmy Stewart. I think it- yeah. <laughs> it's like, just give her a goddamn second to answer a question. And maybe you'll learn some things. All right. Why do you think that, Madeline? Why? Why, Madeline? Why, Madeline? I just, I was like, what? Well, stop, shut up. Think, think about it, Madeline. Think, think just think. think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just, that whole moment, and this is kind of where my notes are going to start becoming a bit more negative. I, uh, I'll meet you up to the kiss part. Yeah, meet me up to the kiss. Uh, well, hey. Uh, <laughs> what was that? Uh, uh, it's better left than said. I'll hear it when I edit. Um. I mean, Julia has seen this film, so she could listen to this one. I got a quote here from, it was right after the, um, the scene with, um, after Madeline left Scotty's house, and it just cuts to Midge, yeah. in the, just cuts to Midge in the car, which I was okay with. And then, yeah. she, and then she was like, now then, Johnny O, was it a ghost? Was it fun? And I'm like, that dialogue by Midge did not seem necessary one bit. It's like, we didn't need I, that. I didn't think Midge seemed necessary. I'll get on to her in a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, and it's like, nor did I add anything. Again, I would have been fine. Again, I've said like, I'm fine with the telly dialogue and shit like that. I'm fine with it. 
and this is okay but i feel like even in consideration of this being a film from the 50s this still feels a bit eh. <laughs> like that bit of dialogue was a bit all right all right come on <laughs> like i'll put this into perspective this came out a year after 12 angry men so you know just yeah so it's not like with you know it's, it's just not like it was a thing of the time like that yeah. dialogue was happening elsewhere yeah i mean you can either look 12 years before that with it's a wonderful life where dialogue was yeah. you know that wasn't fucking like just random just people just saying stuff to themselves yeah, like, exactly, yeah. i just find that a bit enough anyway when someone's alone and then they talk i'm like who are you saying that to yeah us are you, uh, us? <laughs> are you breaking yeah, the fourth wall what are you doing um I got uh, when Scotty and Madeline go driving, there is a weird mixture of romance and fearful tension. Neither emotion is overpowering the mood of the scene. I think though, like, I think like the whole, even the forest scene, there was just this weird off feeling, I think. Whereas like, there's kind of something romantic about this, but also still some kind of unnerving, but neither yeah. of it, but neither of them are overpowering. Like, it's not like I'm like, oh, or like, I'm like, oh shit. I, it's just a bit like, yeah. What's going on here then? What's happening? What's what's gonna happen here? You're either gonna murder her or you're gonna try to fuck her. What's gonna happen? Yeah, what's going on? What's the... <laughs> um and yeah, Jimmy Stewart transitions incredibly from questioning Madeline as a PI uh to then question her as an obsessive lover in one shot. It's the bit where it's like she's looking at it's where she's by the tree and then he's like going up to her and he first start and it almost starts like going like question it like as if like someone would be like so where were you in the time you know it, he almost goes from that to then all of a sudden going from like where were you at the time of this because i would really like to know what you're thinking right now like he almost like goes to like that type of thing and he does it so but he doesn't do it like where he goes hmm and then his facial expression changes to ah uh. it's like he yeah. still keeps the same like look and mannerisms but yeah yeah it's the way he shapes his wording. And I think mm -hmm. that's when like, he, he starts as more deliberate as if he is a detective to then a bit more fast and rapid as if like, come on, I need to know everything about you. I need to know yeah. everything about you type of thing. Does it really well. And he's still, I don't know. It's weird because it's like, obviously in It's a Wonderful Life, we were like, it's, it's the fucking Mount Rushmore of charm, this man. He's like the king yeah, of charm. But yeah, in this... But in this, he's still... It's weird. It's like, I mean, you're kind of charming because you're Jimmy Stewart, but you've also... I don't know, you're a bit, you're a bit, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so far, this is an extremely pessimistic film. Uh, mm -hmm. I got uh, specifically with Scotty and Madeline by the water where she talks about her dying. I like shit like that. Yeah. I, I wish it would have been explored a little bit more as opposed to just yeah. a little bit of a chat by the lake. And then like, yeah. I may as well just kill myself. I would have rather her being a bit like, you know, get a little bit more into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's, but that's just me because I like that shit. I like that type of yeah. shit. And I, I suppose, like, it kind of. I, I Yeah, no, I'll, I'll let you keep going because I, I have a lot of questions about the twist. And um, then and then the, the next bit I've got is the kiss, which I've got. I've never been sure how I feel about the kiss by the waves. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's the point. Um, mm -hmm. This is the exact half, and this is the exact halfway point of the film. And yeah, also. Yeah. And also the point of no return for Scotty, I think. That's the one thing I noticed because I checked, like, where am I at with this? Because the film's like two hours and eight minutes. This is the hour and four minute mark. Like, yeah, it was bang in the middle. Yeah. So it's like, oh, now we're going almost to a, like, 
to a completely different type of film now. Like we've yeah. had, we've had the detective film. Now we're having almost this, this uh, romantic thriller, almost. Yeah. Yeah. The, which. Yeah. And again, I think it's. And when I say I don't know how I feel, because when I first watched, I always thought. Again, I didn't know the twist of it, so I was like, "All right." Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't sure, like how I felt in the sense, like, am I meant to feel? Am I meant to be rooting for them? Because I'm not. I'm really not. Because yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. they do the thing with the big music of like, "Yay!" and then the waves like, "Push!" It's really. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, don't yeah, like. Yeah. Don't really yeah, like I- that. Don't like that, but I almost think that's almost, especially with how the film progresses, where mm. that kind of becomes the point. Yeah, but it does it take it. it. It does take us time to get to that point, though. I do think so, because yeah. I do remember after this point, you're almost now thinking to yourself, "Is this going to be like a Bonnie and Clyde bullshit thing?" Almost where it's like, "We need to run away." Yeah. Is that is that how it's yeah. going to turn out? Where Gavin's like, "How dare you!" kiss my wife yeah. and then scott is like we need to run away madeline and they fuck off or whatever that never even happens the whole i'm glad that doesn't happen by the way i'm pretty yeah i'm pretty glad it it's like what was that was that, oh i was gonna say was there a jimmy stewart film that did that no there's a moment in it's a wonderful life where he goes to the violet and he goes like we can run across the we can run barefoot uh, across the grass and yeah. go along the fucking moonlit river or something it's not like yeah it's not the like way he just goes on about some weird stuff that doesn't make any sense. It's not like he does that to Madeline and she goes, yeah, I'll run away with you, Scotty. Actually. <laughs> the film could have very well have done that, but I'm so fucking glad I didn't. Um, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, go on. I've got, uh, you know the bit where Midge is like, <laughs> um, <laughs> when he goes back to Midge's, after, it's like the first scene after the kiss. Yeah, yeah. I found, so, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, go have a look at what I've done or whatever. And he goes over and looks at the painting. <laughs> I started creasing as soon as I saw it because her face on the painting is so funny. And then it, Jimmy Stewart's line after saying it is, that's not funny, Midge. And the note that I've written down is, is pretty funny, though. It it's funny. a bit funny. Because <laughs> she looks so like, aha, fuck you in the painting. Like she's painting herself to look like she's painting Which I was like, it's pretty funny though. Like a shit eating grin. Just a fucking yeah. shit. I, I also don't know what she was trying to achieve. Neither do I. I. I still, this is the third time I watched this film. I still don't get what the goal of that was. What was he meant to do? Oh, I'll fuck you now. What was that? Oh, all right, yeah. I really like that painting and now I really like you. I like that painting, and now your face is on it. So I guess that means I like you. <laughs> I just don't understand what she was trying to achieve. I don't know if it was meant to be a joke of like you're looking at this painting so much, what are you doing or something. But like I, I just I don't know if she was trying to wind him up or she was trying to seduce him or something. I mean, just, I just responded to Jimmy Stewart's line with my note being like, "It is pretty funny though." <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna say it now. If I, if that was me, and uh, if I had like a female friend of mine, just then just show me a painting that she did with her face on it, I would laugh, and I would then be like, I appreciate the fucking effort you took there to like, <laughs> like, but it, and I, and, and I, and I would hope she did it for a pure laugh, 
That's the yeah. most, I'd be like, fucking hell, yeah, yeah. I can't believe you did that. You know what no. I mean? Like, sometimes we do things for jokes, and then you go like, how, how long did that take you to do, Oscar? I went, too fucking long. It took yeah, me too long. It, yeah. took me, it took me too long to make a thing that just makes us go. <laughs> and then it's funnier, the fact that I did it, more than the fact of the thing yeah. itself. But no, that clearly wasn't her aim to be like, isn't it funny? It was, I don't know what, but it wasn't yeah. that. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. I'd, yeah, I couldn't stop laughing at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a it's nice frame as well, where it's like a split diopter thing almost, where it's yeah, like yeah. the painting and then her in the other half. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just a funny looking frame. It's just it's yeah, just a it's funny. So frame. Yeah, my only note with that um, specific scene was as much as I like this film, I can never really get on board with Midge in this in the film. Maybe to show Scott he has other people in his life that it emphasizes his spiral into obsession with Madeline more. I just can't yeah. I put I just can't get quite behind her subplot. I understand her existence in the film more because if he was just alone a cop, it yeah. would it would then make it like, oh he's going to her because he's got no one in his life. Yeah, and also when he like loses his mind a little bit, it's kind of like, oh well, he was on his own anyway, so who cares? Yeah, but like I guess the fact that he has her is like, oh, he's got someone at least that he's yeah. friends with. That it's almost makes his spiral, no pun intended, uh, to it almost makes it a bit more like quote unquote tragic. In sense, yeah. of, I mean, he hasn't got loads of mates. It's not like he's a big old bachelor, but you know, it's it's not it's not yeah. like he's alone. So I get that. I just didn't yeah. get the point of the scene in a sense of like for context of her character. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I agree with you. Um, shall I go up until uh, just after the, the big the big thing happens? Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> um, so I put um, I put stop in all capital letters and an exclamation mark, which I imagine is probably kissing again. <laughs> From, probably. Probably. Know. It was probably more kissing. Um, but I've, there was the bit when she started going, when she starts going up the bell tower, um, and I was, I wrote, but what, but what about the vertigo? Because uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is where it comes into play. Um, I'll, again, I'll get onto it more in a minute. Um, but, God, yeah. Um, so I think the tension with the vertigo stuff happens again because it's kind of a throwback to the stepladder at the beginning because mm. he's going up one step at a time. So again, it's that progressive thing. You're like, this step's going to be the one that fucked him sort of thing. So I liked that, um, except it doesn't really come into play at all. Um, but yeah, so I wrote the, uh, there was just what in big capital letters and an exclamation mark and a question mark because that, uh, the body going out the windows sort of thing, Really caught me off guard. I didn't think that was what was going to happen. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? What's, what has just happened? So I liked that bit. That was cool. As like a twist. I really wasn't expecting um, Madeline to kill herself. Turns out she didn't anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was very shocked. Um, and then I've got the, uh, this caught is bullshit thing. Because why, why was that judge being so mean? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I liked the um, performance of the judge. Yeah. Because I, I liked how much I hated him. And I was like, that's a good performance. Well done. You made me hate you in like 
in two minutes of screen time that you have. But like, you're very unnecessarily mean. Yeah. I felt. But I don't. I, I, I don't have any notes on the court, so yeah, I do agree. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and then the, you could see that I'm starting to get progressively a little bit more angry with the movie. <laughs> I'm starting to read my notes and being like, I'm getting more pissed off here, I can tell. The patented, um, the patented Robbie Tweedale. Yeah, uh, classic, where he just gets a little <laughs> bit angry for himself. Um, it was when uh, Johnny's mate went up to him and was like, it's okay, don't worry about it. We both know who, what killed Madeline. And my note is, I don't know what the fuck killed <laughs> Madeline. I, because nothing is resolved in terms of the, like, the grandma mystery thing none of it comes into play again i have no idea what killed her <laughs> this so these are like the questions that i have with the twist later on which i'll i'll ask the questions later but i don't at that point in the film i was like this is really weird because that grandma plot thing hasn't been resolved and i don't know where it plays into anything and as far as i can tell by the end of the movie it doesn't play into anything but I might yeah. have just missed some stuff because I just don't. I still don't get it. I don't get what the mystery was. I don't get how it all comes together. Did she think she was possessed? Was she yeah. just mental? I think I don't. I, yeah. So I'll let you go from there. Uh. Um, so where do we go? Oh, the fucking yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah. After the um, the Minch scene. Um, I've got in quotes, Madeline, try, try for me. Uh, this is the first time he's making the situation about him. Uh, he's yeah. not he he's not helping her for her sake, uh, but he desperately wants her to be his ideal woman, foreshadowing much. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that, I, th- I, I think if you, again, in your situation, when if you didn't realize <laughs> obsession was going to be a key point in this film. Yeah. This is the first moment where it's like, oh, okay. Like directly, like, again, as I've said, it's kind of like, from me knowing it now, it's kind of been hinted at from the fucking first act. Yeah. Like, really. But this is the very first time where it's outright be like, try, try for me. And it's like, yeah. eh. I remember clocking that and being like, well, this isn't about you, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, not do- he's not doing this to try to solve a case. Or he's not doing this yeah, okay. to help her out. He's like, just tell me so you can get over it. It's basically what yeah. he said. Exactly, yeah. Get over it so I can so so I can like sleep with you without guilt. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. it's basically what he's it's basically what he said. Yes. Um I go the push and pull is back with a vengeance, baby. I like it a lot. <laughs> I like it a lot. I like again yeah. they use it like three times ish, I think. Is it yeah. three? Three there's like the building, there's the building at the beginning, there's the stair flowers, and then there's that. Yeah. And the um the uh the whole like clock tower the, the bell tower thing just realized it now he's going up spiral stairs yes which I i'd like that a lot again that's another again i'm connected to the, the uzumaki because there's a section in uzumaki where someone's going up a lighthouse spiral stairs and then that's an effect in there so yeah. kind of doesn't yeah. really want uh, it's again there's a lot of spiral shit in this without like spiral imagery in it actually without it being like dun 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 Um, and again I think it works well in the sense of like he's all like he's all he's almost getting 
a bit of vertigo from the smallest fucking things, like even like the bun and someone's hair or architecture. Like it's cool shit like that. But again, it, the film's not about that, which I always like shit like that almost. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, da, 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 right. This is the thing I fucking loved. Um. I think I passed your bit here, but I'm going to say it anyway. Scotty's Scotty's nightmare scene with the trippy oh. light, with the lighting and the animation and the editing is just right up my fucking alley with psychological like cinema. So good. Can I can I do my one note that I have on that scene? Go for it. Yeah. So I've, I've, I mean that was sick. Is one of them. Yeah. But the, the the main one that I want to go into is I think I know how they I think I know how they did it. Before we get into trivia, I'm Go going on. to put my film filmmaking knowledge to the test here. I think I know what they did. It's not in trivia, so I don't have an answer to this, but go for it. Okay, so we're just going to assume I'm right. So what, <laughs> what I think they did was, because the cameras that they were using at the time, they were, when they were shooting on film, if they were shooting in colour, they were using RGB cameras, right? Which basically means that it has a red uh, channel input, a green channel input, and a blue channel input, where it it just, basically the camera only sees those three colors and then it mixes them together to make it a full color picture that's how film cameras worked back in the day to do color on film um what i think they were doing because i noticed this when the lights are flashing and stuff in his dream the only colors are red green and blue those yeah. are the lights that are flashing so what i think they did was they turned off the green and blue inputs for the bits that they wanted in just red and then shot just the red input, and that's how you got that effect. And then they turned the green and the blue back on again to make it full color again, so that you got that flashing effect. And then they did that for the green and the blue as well. Probably did. I, I think that's how they did it. And I, I was very proud of myself. I was like, holy shit, I have learned something at uni. This is great. Yeah. No, it's a fucking cool scene. And this is like the least Hitchcock scene as well. Like, you, yeah. you're, you're not going to get another scene like this in a Hitchcock film realistically which this is almost what makes the film kind of like whoa fucking hell because again like this is 1958 hitchcock he started making films in the 30s he kind of was getting his like stride in the 40s he did like strangers on a train and rope he did rope in the 40s um and then the 50s was kind of i think i look at the 50s as like that was like hitchcock's decade because he did like rear window dialing for murder he did a fucking brilliant film called The Wrong Man with Henry Fonda, which is a highly underrated film, I think. Um, yeah. so, so he's done a lot. And so you watch this film and you're, you're almost like accustomed to the style of a Hitchcock film. And then you watch this scene and you're almost like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, he's like weirdly 70s. Yeah, like he, he, he delves into psychedelia in this weirdly. Yeah. For like five minutes or so and then it's, that's normal. Like it's like fucking Dumbo. Like, it's like yeah, exactly. but no, I just I, like it. There's not much really else. Like, I can't really break it down and search. But I just like I forgot about that scene. And when that scene started, I was like, "Fuck, this is incredible. Yeah. This is just so good." Very cool. Yeah, and I mean, we broke that. We broke down um, psychedelic cinema somewhat within Apocalypse Now. And there's nothing like yeah. There's nothing like this in Apocalypse Now. Like yeah, this exactly. just and fucking like it's really fucking cool shit. I like it a lot. Um, uh, I got a bit here of like in quotes. Uh, she says Mozart is the boy for you, uh, and I've got and I got Midge's place in this film. 
uh, now has a point for me with a line like that. That's the only. Yes. <laughs> I'm not saying like in a serious point way, but the fact that like this person, that Midge just went, Mozart's the boy for you. I'm like, what year is this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is this? But like, yeah, I, I guess because she, she looks after him when he's mute for a scene. I don't get that. I don't quite understand that. I don't, this is what I mean. Like, I'm guessing the when it fades and then fades back in again, I'm guessing that's meant to be the year time jump of his therapy and recovery or whatever. I'm a moron. Like, I didn't realize it was that much of a time jump. <laughs> yeah, because the, yeah, because the, the, the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's, his recovery will be about a year. And then he says, like, oh, this is the happiest I've been in, in a whole year or something later on. So I, th- yeah. I think it's been a whole year. Um, if, if it's been a whole year, hey, lady that was pretending to be Madeline, don't live in the same city, you fucking idiot. Piss off. <laughs> Piss off. Move somewhere. Why, why would you? I don't know. But, like, yeah, I, I don't it, um, Yeah, so I just don't really get that bit particularly. I understand he'd be traumatised. I think you could have done it a lot more, like, inventful. But yeah. Again, I've got a point. Again, it goes um, uh, acute melancholy is a very apt way to describe this film. Yeah. But, but I feel like, again, you could have like, again, I like the idea of this guy just grieving. Yes. And then this melancholic just dip. But yeah. Whereas, but this is the kind of, this is the issue that I have with this whole section of the film. He's not, I would understand if it was framed as if he was grieving and he was going to the place that she used to go because he was grieving. But for some reason, it's framed as if he's going to these places to look for a woman who he knows is dead. Yeah. Like, it looks like he's going to look for her. Yeah. And it just makes him across really weird. Yeah. Like, from this point on, I really disliked the character of Scotty. I mm. just didn't like him. Um, which I don't think he's trying to, which I don't think he's meant to be likable either, but I know what you mean. And like, it's yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got a uh, Hitchcock has now went from a story about fear, obsession, grief mm-hmm. by beautifully merging these emotions as one, uh, especially when Scotty starts seeing Madeline in locations he's been to before. Again, like, that, that, like when he's in Ernie's restaurant, and yeah. there's outright Kim Novak. Like they use Kim Novak. Yeah. And then it cuts to Jim Stewart. And then it cuts back and it's just a different person. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. And I and I do um, like again, because the film, it could have just been a film just about fear. Mm-hmm. It could have been a film just about obsession. Yeah. It could have been a film just about grief. But sometimes all those emotions are just the same. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I think especially, again, I say it, film from the 50s, you don't say shit like that a lot. No, no you don't. You see that like in the 70s, 60s, like the earliest possibly. But like, you know, it's a film about like someone, it's a film literally about someone who's dealing with just all these negative emotions that one might go through. Yeah. Which which I like. I I do like that in a a sense of like, all these things can be the same. It, it, It could be like, a big cycle like you could be scared or like you could you can like have grief which then you can be scared of the grief or like and then yeah. you could be obsessed because you're 
try or like, and the obsession can once again cause grief. And it's uh, yeah, exactly. it, like, he's feeling, he's scared. Obviously he's got a fear of heights, but he's obviously, he's a man who's just scared of just loss, clearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like whether it be him dying or people close mm-hmm. to him dying or whatever, which probably could explain why he's so obsessed that he just wants someone. He just, yeah, exactly. like he wants someone. Um, but I do think it could have been another little bit more, a little, a little bit more fleshed out. It's hints there, but I think that's yeah. because I'm analyzing the thing. Yeah, and it's you know you're like looking into it and, and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I could have done a lot more of that if I if I knew where the thing was going. Yeah, like I'm watching this for the third time, so I know what the fuck I'm watching. Yeah, whereas I yeah because I didn't. Yeah, I think I'll again. I think I'll appreciate it a lot more a second time. It's a filmmaker's film in the sense of like you study the shit out of it and you can be like, yes. that's fucking class. Um, similar thing to Citizen Kane. I think Citizen Kane is a filmmaker's film where like you study that film and you're like, whoa, can't believe yeah. they did that. It's not like a film like how we talk about like, uh, what's a good example? I don't know. Some Like It Hot. Well, like yeah. that's a film that could just be. Talk about it. Generally, we can talk about it as a laugh and we can break it down. Um, yeah. Check out our some like a hot episode um, to watch two to, to watch to watch two men end yes. up talking to end up talking about feminism. <laughs> I think we ended up going into that. I think we ended up saying something like that. Probably. And then some yeah. like it up. Anyway. I forget a lot of things on this podcast and it worries me. So do I. I I, 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 that's why I go back sometimes. I don't go back and I'm like, I want to listen to this fully again. It's like, I think I remember saying that point. Hang on, let me. I will. It's, it's once for me where I feel like I'm worried that it's going to get recommended to my family or like to Julia's family and they'll listen to it and I'll say something I'm not supposed to that pays me in a terrible light. I live in constant fear of that. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it is us just shooting the shit as well for a lot of it as well. So it's like, like when I was listening to the Jurassic Park episode the other day, um, we said that uh, Ian was a stupid name, and then I called out my cousin Ian, and you called out your uncle Ian. And I was like, "Well, I hope he never listens to that." <laughs> Christ, we've said <laughs> things, we've said things about people that in the thought of like they never listened to this, but it's like, what if they just yeah, exactly. stumble on <laughs> that? What if they just stumble? <laughs> I think we called Jack out on our top ten video at one point. I think you called oh. him like, "I think you were." Well, he's a very unstable man. I think. Yeah, probably. Well, he is. He's tried to hit me one time. That was fun. He won't watch. He, I, I have full confidence that he will never in his no, life watch yeah, it. So he did try to hit me. I'll challenge him to a boxing fight. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, so fear, obsession, and grief. Um, <laughs> um, right. I got right. I'll say the scene and then we can talk. Do you have any other points leading up to when Scotty visits Judy for the first time? No, my next note is the twist. Well, okay, well, <laughs> I'll go through my notes and then... Should I just go through the rest of my notes? Because I don't have... I've got, like, under a page left. And then we can talk about the twist and shit. I've got, uh, like, six notes left, so yeah. So I'll go. just go through. Um, when Scotty visits Judy, um, yeah. all, se- all sense of romance is gone. Just mm. all of it's gone. And Judy begins... I got here, Judy begins warming to Scotty. This is not a good thing, nor is it being played off as such. 
So I'm kind of, I'm all right. Like, cause this, there's a lot of films that I've like, I remember watching with my then girlfriend, old films that I loved and she hadn't seen. I'm like, fucking, this is class. Let's watch it. And this is someone who's very, who is, who's quite a feminist and right. quite, you know, all that stuff. Um, and there'll be a lot of times where we watch a film and then I'll be, and then I would realize, oh no, this is very problematic. And I've just remembered it's very problematic. And then I just become really awkward sitting next to her. All right. Okay. Watching Chase and Amy, even though I would agree that it's not really that problematic. It can be a little bit, but it's not as problem. It's not as problematic as some people say it is, but also doesn't help that my girlfriend was bisexual as well. So that was also very awkward time watching that shit. <laughs> uh, but there's, so there's a lot of older films. Like there's a Bond film. There's Bond mm-hmm. films you can watch and you go like, oh, <laughs> like, you need to smack around, Sean. <laughs> there's, there's another, there's a Hitchcock film from the 60s starring Sean Connery and Tippi Hedren called Marnie. Marnie? Marine? Marine? Can't remember. Where yeah. he outright forces himself, himself on Tippi Hedren outright classic bond movie. like she goes no he just continues going for a kiss she goes i don't want to push her on the bed and then he just goes to it <laughs> and then, that was the first time i watched it as well so it wasn't like this is great so i'm like this is a bit yeah this is a bit, bit funky but um so this could have been very well of an instance where he meets this woman and he basically just makes her go out with him yeah but it's not played off as a thing where it's like, good on the lad. Yeah, it's made out to be bad. Yeah, yeah. And then instantly where it's... Um, um, I got... Um, uh, I, my note, I'm going to just read it. Um, mate. I got, mate, I dig this twist so fucking much. Uh, which is Gav- which where it's Gavin's plan to murder his wife, knowing that Scotty's acrophobia would take effect. I liked it a lot. And I'm also a little bit grateful that it was that early it was revealed. Again, it's like the ticking time bomb thing where we know now. Yeah. We know the situation. Yeah. There's some interesting yeah. trivia about that reveal, by the way, which we'll okay. get to in the trivia section. But I don't know. I like it because they could have very well have just played it off. Like, I mean, I, I would have liked it. And if I was making the film, I would have probably made it as if... Uh, what a wanker if I was making Vertigo. Um, but like, if I, I mean, like in the sense of like, if I was making a film with this type of plot, I probably would have stuck not revealing that she's the same person. Cause I think they, they remake her up enough to where it's like, like when you first see her, it's like, is it? it like, I have no idea. Like she's got different makeup, different hair. Like she, yeah. It's almost like, is it, it like, so I would have personally, like if I was doing it, I would have just kept it like just constant in the sense of like, you mm. like the audience is almost constantly questioning, like, is it? It, she yeah. looks very like her though. And then until yeah. she gets dressed as her, it's like, wait a minute. You know, yeah. it's, but I also appreciate the fact of like, just get right to it. Like just fucking just get into it. Yes. With it. Um, I got, um, this is in relevance to, I mean, I can lump this to this scene and another scene. I've got here when um, the Empire Hotel scene, um, after they go to dinner and also after, and also you can also throw in there the scene where she's fully dressed as Ju- um, Madeline. 
Yes. I've got here the green and red is at its peak at the Empire Hotel scene after dinner. Yeah. It's such good. And no, I'm not going to. No, I'll, I'll say it. I was going to make a joke. It's not funny. Now I read it. I'm like, uh, it's not really yeah. funny now, but yeah. I'll read it now because it's not going to get used as in the conversation itself. This is a deleted scene that you're all watching now. Uh, the note reads, the green and red is at its peak at the Empire Hotel scene after dinner, and so am I. Wink, wink. <laughs> the joke was meant to be because I really like the colour palette. <laughs> and that's why I decided, no, I'm not going to say that. I did it because I'm Referencing the fact it's shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. I mean, it's, it's either that or wanted poster jokes. You decide. Um, <laughs> um, final three notes I've got. I've got uh, when Scotty and Judy are walking by the lake, like with the fucking birds mm. and shit. Um, I have to give credit to uh, the cinematographer, Robert Burks, for having an incredible eye. Because we haven't mentioned his name, but yeah. he's a fuck. He did a great job, and I'm sure he's done other things. I'm gonna filibust as I look up his yeah. name, but I just I, I again again when you we talk about the look of a, of this film, we go, oh Hitchcock did a really good job. Hitchcock, yeah, he did. He obviously had a storyboard in that, but yeah. Rob, but Robert Burke shot the thing and everything. Um, he he was also the cinemat oh, he was also the cinematographer for Rear Window and Strange on a Train. He seems to just be he's Alfred Hitchcock's cinematographer, um, oh, okay. basically. And I do think this is Hitchcock's probably best looking film. Yeah, not my not my favorite. Yeah, not my favorite Hitchcock film. But I mean, if I pick frames from a film to like put in like yeah. a if I don't know why someone goes to me, Oscar, we're doing a museum of screenshots from films. Give us some mm. screenshots from films. I'll go, well, there's some for Vertigo. Like, I'll be like, it's, yeah. it's, and then I'll throw some Wes Anderson in there because you have to. Oh, um, oh. Grand Budapest. Um, Scotty molding Judy into Madeline is unnerving and timeless in a very awful way because that is still, you still hear that a lot. Yeah. Where it's like, can you just be like this, me ex? Or like, can you yeah, just so crazy. <laughs> or, or even not necessarily my ex? Could you just be exactly how I want you to be? Yeah. Like you you like you hear like these like like you you hear about these girls who are like get their hair dyed or some shit. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm not necessarily fussed on my hair like this. And you go, then why have you got your hair like it? And you go, ah, my boyfriend likes it like this. Because well, that's not the fucking point. <laughs> that's not the point. Yeah. But yeah, it's no. like but it plays it really accurately. Again, I've never been in that situation. Yeah. Uh, but it plays it very... It's not over dramatic. It's not like Jimmy Stewart is like, you will wear the grey suit. You yeah. will. It, it's it's almost like he begs her. It's very manipulative. It's a very manipulative... There was a bit where he says, and he says it a few times, where he goes, ah, oh, but it won't bother you. Like, he's like, ah, oh, it makes no difference to you. Sort of thing. It's like, it's that fucking body, dude. I'm just trying... I'm just trying to do nice things for you. That's another yeah. one he said, which is, ah, it's fucking yeah. skin crawling. It's, yeah, I don't like it. It made it, me very uncomfortable. But again, Jimmy Stewart, man, he doesn't change massively. It's not like he becomes this monster. It's, no, it's, no, he doesn't. Yeah. He, again, a charming man, but he just kind of changes his 
inflections and the way he says things and what he yeah, is yeah. saying. Mm. And he he overloads her in vocabulary in the sense of like she just kind of goes, okay, yeah, I will, sure. Because yeah. like, he, he could have very well would, I want you to get your hair dyed. And she could be, no. Yes. Or like, he could have been like, but I want this, I want you to wear this gray suit. And she could be like, no. Yeah, but like the fact, the fact he's like, I just think it would look really nice on you. Look, it looks good. See, see, it will have a nice fit. It just, like, no, see, I want to do something nice for you. That like, it just overloaded on like, see, I'm being nice. Why aren't yeah. you let, why aren't you letting me be nice? Is basically, which is, and again, yeah. it just, watching a 1958 film and thinking to myself, it still happens these days. Yeah. yeah. Not great. And my final point is the ending might be my biggest fault. It's so abrupt. It kind of makes Madeline look like an idiot. And now we'll go yeah. with your points and then we discuss. Right. Okay. So, my <laughs> first note after the reveal when she's writing her letter was, wait, what? And then the next one was, oh. Um, so, that's me getting it in real time. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I think that... My, my, my initial thoughts said twist works on every level. And I'd like to go back to talk to past Rob for a second and say, no, it doesn't. You're an idiot. Um, but so to me, because I didn't like the romance angle because I thought that's your mate's wife. Stop doing that. It's weird and it just doesn't work. And then it gets revealed that the lady that he was in love with wasn't actually the guy's wife. And I thought, oh, it fixes the problem that I had earlier on. And I thought about it for like more than two seconds. I was like, no, it doesn't, because he didn't know. He, he, he still thought it was his friend's wife, so it still makes him out to be a bad person. So yeah, that, yeah. it doesn't fix anything. Um, and then it also it raised so many questions. And I, I, hope, I hope you can help me to answer some of them. I can try. Um, right. So my first question is, did... Was the whole backstory of the Spanish grandma true? And if it wasn't, why did he go to the effort of making that up? I don't know. <laughs> this is what I mean. What was any of it? What was any of the mystery for the first hour of this movie? Because it just gets thrown out the fucking window. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. Yes, yeah. I was like the first half of this movie, which I really, really enjoyed is now in the bin because the second half has nothing to do with it and also proves that it was pointless. So I just, just kind of like, well, okay, I guess. Um, so yeah, I wasn't I wasn't that big of a fan of the twist. I think the twist is cool in concept, um, but in the, like, in concept it's cool, in the context of the rest of the film, didn't work for me. Um, I, get it. I, I think I really liked it because it's like, Obviously, up to that point, his acrophobia is kind of just another thing, as well as this whole thing with Madeline. Yeah. And then the, the twist almost makes it like, oh, that fucking makes so like everything ties together. Like yeah, everything's okay. relevant. Like he knew yeah. about the verdict, he knew about his acrophobia taking place. Um, mm -hmm. acrophobia being the actual name of the fear, vertigo being the feeling of dizziness. People often miss misinterpret it. Uh, but obviously, like that shit. Is really like I like that bit and the fact of like, oh, she wasn't Gavin's wife. She was a ploy just so she yeah. he could murder his wife, and she she yeah. got she got but she got a bit of dollary dues out of it. Exactly. 
it's 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 a it's a classic like um yeah it's a, yeah it, yeah it's a very classic like oh the fault the uh, the flawed hero and the femme fatale and oh isn't everything just so wild and wacky yeah exactly I, I, I dig i dig i couldn't figure out here's a, that, that was another thing that i couldn't quite figure out when it shows when the guy when gavin throws his wife off the bell tower was he throwing his wife off the bell tower or was he throwing a dummy because I know that for a fact it was a dummy when they were filming it, because you can tell it's a dummy. Yeah. Or was that supposed to be that to a wife? Yes, because they would have, because people would have taken her body off the roof and they yeah. would have released it. I was going to say a bit odd that maybe Scotty was like, well, that's not. <laughs> but I guess yeah. he would, I guess he would have seen her. I guess he wouldn't have. I guess he wouldn't have wanted to see a dead body. So I think the implication is like he, she looks that much like her that you wouldn't really notice anyway. Yeah. Which I guess. Um, but yeah, I. So then, from that point onwards, I do. Um, I do almost want to know how long was Gavin waiting with his wife up there? Exactly. And how did he get her up there? Because surely she'd be like, "Why are you taking me from a bell tower?" Like, no, let's just look at the view. You just gotta wait for a second. And the last thing she saw is an identical woman to her run up the stairs, and then she got locked out a window. So that's a confidence on death, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's not like Scott. It's not. It's not like Gavin pulled a gun out and like shit, bang. It's just like, yeah. wait, why are you like preventing me from screaming? What are you doing? Wait, is that me? Shit. <laughs> shit, what the fuck? Wait, have I been cloned? Ah. I love that thought. <laughs> just imagine that being your last thought. Wait, was that me? <laughs> yeah. It's just weird, and like the I just yeah. Why did he want his wife dead as well? That's never explained. Because it's the 50s and it's a crime film, Robbie. Rare. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Rare. Um, and then Johnny's just the worst guy after... Oh, yeah. The rest of the movie is just the worst bloke. Um, to the point where one of my notes is just, fuck this guy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I liked him for like the first hour and then he just sucks for the rest of it. When he's like, oh, wear this and dye your hair and whatever. Uh, now I'll talk, I'll go talk about the ending for a second, and the big gripe that I had with this film generally, um, when once I realised that it was the ending because I didn't think it was when, um, when it came up with the no, it just faded out and it was the Paramount for Paramount. And I was like, oh, we're done. <laughs> um, yeah, so I get so the ending is um, Johnny takes. Uh, Judy to the bell tower where uh, Judy or Madeline died um, for seemingly no reason um, and then <laughs> takes it to the top of the bell tower um, It's quite elaborate he could have very well just been like I know you're Madeline <laughs> 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 You didn't need to do this whole like setup where it's like we're going to go to the tower I'm going to take <laughs> her up the stairs I'm going to overcome my acrophobia and then I'm going to be like look yeah. This is where the woman got the throat. <laughs> so, he does, he does, so he takes her up there for seemingly no reason. And like you mentioned, um, overcomes acrophobia somehow, which I'm going to talk about in more detail in a second. And then uh, they're up there. The, with the power of loathe. I guess. Uh, they get up to the top. Uh, they shout at each other in 50s stuff for like two minutes. And then Madeline, you're right, you're right, yeah. 
and then and then Judy gets scared by a nun and falls out of window. Yeah, no, I, it's like I thought I heard someone out here. Ah! <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Did she trip? Did she fall? Or did she jump? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, right. I, I, kind, of, I kind of get it because the silhouette of a nun just looks like a ghoul. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm the person to say I shot myself at the Valak scene in Conjuring too, so I understand a scary nun. But, I get it. But <laughs> so then, this is my one of my, my my like second biggest issue, apart from the the whole second half of the movie. Right, the movie is called Vertigo. Correct. The um, the main character suffers from vertigo due to his crippling acrophobia. Um, and by the end of the film, nothing comes of the acrophobia. Except for the twist. That is really the only thing. And then after that is like, yeah, yeah no, I, I understand what you mean. But just like the whole movie is named after this thing that has nothing to do with the movie by the end because is it more so like uh, let me put my wanker hat on um is it meant to be like a it could almost be like a thing where hitchcock isn't being like oh the film is about someone with vertigo the film is just about the feeling of vertigo so everything that's happened in the film is kind of dizzying but i guess it's not really either it's not really and but like surely and I, this is just a thought that I've had after seeing the movie. Um, surely it would be far easier, right? Because the plan wasn't for the lady to fall in love with him anyway. No. And it, the plan wasn't... Was the plan to seduce Johnny? Was that the plan? And she accidentally fell in love with him? Or was it just... I don't think that was the plan. I think Gavin just wanted a lookalike. Right. And then... And then he follows her to the clock tower. Just, and then just shit. I think so. I don't think the plan yeah. was. I don't think the plan was ever for Judy as Madeline to be like, "Let me seduce him and get him on my side." And then yeah, I think the plan was just to have a witness to her suicide. Yeah, yeah. Um, which okay. Here's a question that I have. Um, could you have not? Um, paid the actress uh, to, or you know, to go around that corner at the Golden Gate Bridge, right? And at that corner, you are waiting with your real wife. You throw your real wife in after, like, I don't know, strangling her or something. Throw your real wife in. You and the fake wife run off, and you just pay the person to uh, the person that you choose to follow your wife around for a little bit. Just pick someone that can't swim. Surely they're more common than people with acrophobia. I think it was more so because he knew Scotty anyway. Right, okay. And if he did strangle her, there would be marks of like, they would be like, well, she didn't die from drowning. She died from getting strangled. Whereas like the fact of like, even if he pushed her or if she jumped, the, the cause of death is still, she fell from a height. You can't yeah. necessarily prove that like she got pushed. It's like you got a witness seeing this woman run up and then he gets all fucking like shaky because of his phobia and then he just sees her fall. So I guess yeah. that, I know what you mean though in the sense of 
It's like, yeah, it was there'll be, like, there, there would be a lot more of an investigation if what you saying happened. Yes. Then. I just think that, that just so many questions are raised by the end and mm. I don't get it. Like the, 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 I found it, one thing that made me laugh quite a bit was a bit where Johnny goes, um, oh, and you just, you pushed her off and then you, you, go, you two just waited up here until the coast was clear and then you snuck down. So what I imagined was just Gavin pushed his wife off and then him and Judy just squatted in the corner for an hour or so. <laughs> Not doing anything. Just Not doing anything, just sat there. We got a deck of cards. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, they're playing like Yahtzee or something, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I That's the end of my notes, I think. I just it, I it, It's an ending where I'm like, could have like drawn out a little bit. They could have yeah, I wanted to see what came of the fact that Judy was now dead because I mean, yeah. I guess really interesting. Like, I mean, just let that breathe a bit as opposed to like they talk, they talk, they talk. I thought I heard someone, ah, let me ring the bells yeah. now. Ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. The mum basically goes, shit. <laughs> ba boom. <laughs> it starts ringing the bell. Yeah, she doesn't go like, oh my God. She's like, I thought I had someone up here. Then she just sees a woman bolt yeah. and she goes, oh, I guess I'll do this now. Yeah, she just kind of goes like, oh, may God have mercy on our soul. That's how I'm doing my ringworms. What is but, it? What is it with... I don't know why, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it was the bit where the fucking... When, when the real Madeline fell and jumped. Yeah. Just seeing two nuns just peg it across the fucking, like... Thing in my head, I just was like, This just feels like Godfather 3. I don't know why, I just got yeah. brought back to Godfather 3. I'm just like, yes. just never a good feeling to have. No, <laughs> but but yeah. yeah, overall, uh, to summarize my thoughts on Vertigo, and um, the first hour I was really into, and the second hour just took a fucking nose dive. And I can understand that this isn't like this, this is weird, like again. People might be going to me like, Oscar, why did you make this the film to talk about when Robbie hasn't seen a Hitchcock film and you've outright said, this isn't probably a great place for us to start with Hitchcock. The reason is because it was like, obviously first episode of the first, the very first episode was Godfather, a film regarded as like the best, one of the best films ever, if not the best film ever. Within our second season, we did Citizen Kane, again, regarded as one of the, the greatest film ever. Vertigo is kind of like the new that. And it's one of those other ones where, again, with BFI naming it the number one film, I kind of mm. wanted to tackle that. Yeah. Again. So that's the reason why. I'll, I'll let you off, I guess. If I would have picked another hit, a good starting point, I would have thought like either Rear Window or somewhere like that. But, yeah. um, But I do think like, like Susan Kane, this is definitely going to be, this would definitely be much more appreciated by people who are interested in the craft of filmmaking and people yes. that want to understand what goes into making a film and how that can really affect just storytelling, I yeah. think. All filmmaking aspects of this are incredible. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, there's multiple things. Again, there's the push and pull, we said. There's the yeah. dolly shots. There's the vibrant colour shit yep. in here. There's that trippy nightmare sequence. There's so much in this where you can break it down and go like, let's look at this 
Exactly. And break yeah. it down and how this affected the film. So I think that I, I think that's one thing I'm learning. Because when I remember being younger and being seeing films that are rated as the best film of all time and thinking to myself, really that film? But I think yeah. like when critics or film historians make these lists, these shit hit the mic there, make these lists and cultivate these like top 100 films, they're almost looking like how much of an impact did they have on the craft of filmmaking? I think that's like where they mm-hmm. all look at it. They don't look at it like my personal opinion. It's like fucking love this film. It's like that yeah. might that might be that, but also like you know, Citizen Kane again. It's not really like a fun entertainment film, is it? No, exactly. Yeah. Like I'm not sticking on Citizen Kane and being like, oh, let me have a whale of a time and watch this film. <laughs> it's a good stuff. Like that's a film. I'm like, you know what? I want to like watch a film to like. Get be a bit film nerdy, and then I watch yeah. Susan Kane. Like that's and same thing with Vertigo. I think other Hitchcock films are a lot more leisurely and relaxed. Yeah, uh, where you can break them down still, but they're a bit more fun to watch. Right, okay. Yeah. Vertigo. I think Vertigo is his most cinephile film, in the okay. sense, in the sense of like, it's always regarded as like people talk about Hitchcock's Vertigo as his masterpiece because mm-hmm. they talk about it like how someone may be like Orson Welles and Susan Kane or like Ingmar Bergman and Persona or Andre Tarkovsky and Stalker, you know, like these films yeah. are, you know, this is the temple film of this filmmaker, not necessarily because it personally resonated with someone, but maybe because it's like this had the most filmmakery shit in it. Yeah. And, like in terms of filmmaking masterclasses. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, I think Vertigo is a good film to study. It's his best mm-hmm. film to study. I think. Maybe Psycho is a really good one to study for, for uh, horror and suspense. But this right. one's just this one's just a good one to study for filmmaking. And I, I gave the film like four and a half stars. I still really like it. I really enjoy it. Um, enjoyed it the most this time around. But um, really like it. Not my favorite Hitchcock film, but I do think it is essential Hitchcock. Um, and I look forward to doing more Hitchcock probably on the intermission podcast. It'll be daft if we don't, realistically. I imagine we will. Uh, and with that being our thoughts um, yeah. on the film, let's move on, Robbie, to a next oh. segment. Trivia! Oh, yeah, boy, give me that trivia straight in my goddamn veins. In my veins! That's the, that's the new jingle. Clip that. That's the jingle for trivia now. In my <laughs> It's just me shouting a lyric from a Randy Orton song. Yes. Is that wrong? Yeah. Okay, the first bit of trivia. Again, I want to say I gain all these pieces of trivia from IMDB. So there you go. I could I could be really thorough and be Alison Agar's favorite student and get all loads of books and watch all sorts of stuff. Give me yeah. a break. I watched the film literally yesterday, so I just grabbed stuff from IMDB yeah. and just shot on there. Um, We're famously terrible. Leave us alone. I save all that shit for when I'm doing my dissertation. Leave exactly. it. I decided about doing my dissertation, by the way. I'm stuck on mine, kind I'll, of. But I'll say I'll say the title on the podcast to get people intrigued. I mean, you're never going to read it. Get people hyped about your um, dissertation. <laughs> my my dissertation is going to be called um, "Subverting Expectations: Colon Why I Haven't Been Blown Away by a Film Since 2018." Continue. 2018 was a relatively weak year for me, throwing that out there. Um, (laughs) First bit of trivia. 
the opening title sequence designed by Saul Bass makes this the first movie to use computer graphics. Yeah, Julie was talking about this yesterday. I was telling her that we were doing this podcast and she said that she had to watch the um, she had to watch the opening titles to this film, like a, a graphic design part of her course or something. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. It's good shit, good shit. Nice little piece of history. Uncredited second unit cameraman Ehrman Roberts invented the famous zoom out and track in shot. Mm. Now sometimes called contra shot contra zoom or trombone shot never heard those names for that shot before i've heard the trombone shot i always call it a dolly zoom push and pull i always say but yeah the dolly zoom yeah it's yeah Yeah. Uh, to convey the sense of vertigo to the audience the view down the mission stairwell cost nineteen thousand dollars for just a couple of seconds of screen time and back in the 50s Fuck, you know. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Is is that because it was a miniature again? I'm guessing. I think so. Yeah. It had to be built. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another bit about the dolly shot. Uh, the zoom out tracking, uh, zoom out tracking shots were done with miniatures laid on their sides, since it was impossible to do them vertically. Imagine that. Nice. Let me just rig a fucking dolly camera and just. <laughs> there's a, there's a really. Cool- um, thing with that that I'll just mention here briefly because I imagine we'll never watch Independence Day on this turn. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> There's a really cool bit in that where uh, Flame is like coming through the street uh, and they did again, they, they shot miniatures on its side. So the street was a miniature and then because fire rises naturally to get the fireball coming through the street, they had it like set up so it was pointing upwards and then they lit the thing underneath and it comes through. All right. I, I, it's completely off topic, but I yeah. thought that was cool. I head out about miniatures a lot of the time. I mean, it's <laughs> fair. Uh, the movie was unavailable for three decades because its rights, together with four other movies of the same period, were bought mm. back by Alfred Hitchcock and left, excuse me, and left as part of his legacy to his daughter, Patricia Hitchcock. Who recently passed away. Rest in peace, Patricia oh, Hitchcock. Uh, she starred in Strangers on a Train. Just one throw out there. Um, decent in that as well. Um, they've been long known as the five lost Hitchcocks among movie buffs and were re-released in theatres around 1984 after an approximately 30-year absence. The other films are The Man Who Knew Too Much, 1956, Rear Window, Rope, and The Trouble with Harry. It's interesting to me the fact you just like because obviously there wasn't like any film like DVDs or blue you know there was no like home video release yeah, yeah. so he just kind of was like I'm just gonna like like just buy the rights to these films and fuck everyone yeah I mean Didn't fair just, enough it's interesting I don't get it but it's interesting yeah um Sir Alfred Hitchcock was embittered at the critical and commercial failure of this movie in 1958, he blamed this on James Stewart for looking too old to attract audiences anymore. Hitchcock never worked with Stewart, previously one of his favorite collaborators again. So he was like, so it was like, it's your fucking fault this didn't do well, James. You're too old. So like, you cast me. Yeah. Wow. That's your fault. <laughs> you're on about. What? <laughs> Oh, right, okay. I'm not even... Um, so the, more, the more I think about it, I don't really remember much Jimmy Stewart after 58, so I can't think of any... I don't yeah. know. 
I need to look into that. How did Hitchcock end his career? Did he blacklist him? Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, many uh, another bit about uh, many critics attributed this movie's failure to James Stewart, who's considered miscast as the romantic lead, partly due to his age. So both Hitchcock and the critics were like, oh. "Yeah, what the fuck, Jimmy Stewart, man? Leave him alone. He was good in this. He was the one of the better actors in it, I would say. Yeah, maybe the best know. one. Um, yeah, but Midge. Midge. Uh, Mozart is the boy. Uh, <laughs> um. When Kim Novak questioned Alfred Hitchcock about her motivation in a particular scene, Hitchcock is said to have answered, let's not probe too deeply into these matters, Kim. It's only a movie. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much because that's everything we're told not to do in film school. <laughs> oh, God. Imagine if we did that to someone in the act, one of the actors in yeah. <laughs> Imagine if like Joe came up to me and was like, oh, like what what's my character meant to be doing this in this scene or whatever? And I'm just like, just have a laugh with it, mate. Just calm down. <laughs> it's like let's not let's yeah. not worry, let's not worry about it. Let's <laughs> make it fun, you know. We would have got like pulled in by someone. Like, yeah. what are you doing? You're being I'm like, sorry. Alfred Hitchcock, I've heard things about him being quite he but professional director. He's known not to really give a fuck about the craft of acting. Yeah, he doesn't really care, does he? Like he's like, just do what I tell you to do. Wasn't he the guy that was like, just look over there? It, I the forgot. I, I forgot the blo- I forgot the actor's name, but I. Yeah, pe- he was people... like, yeah, I don't think my character would do that. He's like, it doesn't matter. Just fucking look up there. Yeah. yeah. Looking up into the right. Just do I, that. I need the close up of what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of agree with Hitchcock in that sense, where it's like yeah, the fucking yeah. point of the shot yeah. is to look. But yeah, he, he's. He, I think he's outright being like, just fucking move in these. He basically looks at them as chess pieces. It's like, just move at this exact space. Didn't he call them cattle or liken them to cattle? That was it. Like, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, stuff. kind of funny. Kind of funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, That's not funny, Alfred. It's a bit funny, though. <laughs> Um, Kim Novak already had a reputation for being difficult, so perhaps it was not a surprise when she refused to show up uh, for work one day. Uh, she was striking for more money from her home studio, Columbia Pictures, who was paying her $1,250 a week, even though they were receiving $250,000 for her loan out for this and one more movie. The ploy worked and Novak got a raise. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot that. there, isn't there? Just, yeah. We discussed, we discussed it in an earlier episode. Where it's like, what the fuck was old Hollywood? You don't hear about shit like this now, do you? Exactly. <laughs> um. Alfred Hitchcock originally wanted Vera Miles to play Judy, but she became pregnant and therefore was unavailable. Vera Miles uh, would later work with Hitchcock in Psycho. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, well, who, who is she in Psycho? Is she the main lady? She's not Janet Lee. She's Janet Lee's sister. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so uh, arguably a bit more of a prominent role, a bit more of a main character role than Janet Lee, if you... Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Though it, although here's a follow up to that piece of trivia, 
Though it is commonly reported that Vera Miles's pregnancy was the sole reason for her being re- replaced by Kim Novak, the author mm. Dan claimed that both Hitchcock and James Stewart has expressed concern over Miles's ability to play the role as early as November 1956 and had already been seriously considered and it had already been seriously considered Novak as a possible replacement by the time Miles announced her pregnancy. So she did right. have to, so she wasn't the pregnancy did play a part part, but apparently Hitchcock and Stewart were like, don't know about this. Right. So, so all, all, all sorts of intrigue there. Uh, the original source material for this movie was the French novel Dienta Le Mort, and the action uh, was set in Paris. Hitchcock changed the setting to San Francisco, uh, a city well known for its unique topography and hilly landscape, in order to add further torment to Scotty's life and emphasize the deliberate. Dilib- uh, Dilapidating nature, vaccine. yes, vaccine. Uh, Dilapidating nature of his vertigo and acrophobia. So I kind of dig that. Like obviously, like uh, San Francisco, San Francisco is very, very skyscraper, very tall buildings. So I, I didn't yeah. think about that. How it almost works, where you're almost surrounded by these really tall things. Anyway, tall things, yeah. tall buildings. Fuck's sake, Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, the screenplay is credited to Alec Koppel and Samuel Taylor, but Koppel didn't write a word of the final draft. He is credited for contractual reasons only. Taylor read neither Koppel's script nor the original novel. He worked solely from Hitchcock's outline of the story. What? Right. Do you know, things like that still happen, you know? Oh, yeah. Do you know about the thing with Yesterday, the Danny Boyle film? No. Well, Richard Curtis is credited as writing that film, but he didn't. Um, some guy, another guy wrote it, um, and Richard Curtis just kind of looked over it, made a couple of changes and signed off on it. And they were just kind of and, like, yeah, Richard Curtis was a writer. Yeah. It's, it's, it's credited to Richard Curtis for writing it, but he didn't, apparently. Mad. But wow. imagine, but imagine that as well. The other bloke didn't read the other screenwriter's script or the novel. It's like, right, Hitch, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah. These days, you get all sorts of fans being like, "That's not the book at all." Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think you probably did back then, uh, but no one. I don't think anyone was going to see Vertigo to see. Oh, let me see the adaptation of Diante Lemour. <laughs> yeah, my favorite book. Watch, we're going to get a comment from someone. Is it still there? still there. Watch, we're going to get a comment. We're going to get a comment from someone and be like, actually, that is my favorite book, you shits. Yeah, yeah, you dickheads. (laughs) Put some respect on the name of the body right there. The end to Lemur. Sorry. Sorry. That's Um, what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, as with most Hitchcock movies, the filming went relatively smoothly. Hitchcock avoided surprises, preferring to have every detail planned out in advance. Extensive storyboarding of most sequences assured that his trusted production staff would know what was expected of them. That piece of trivia was written by one Andrew Hutchinson. It wasn't. It was. <laughs> oh but it just that is that, that just says the bomb. You can do this. 
do this. Do like what of one of us goes like, yeah, well, this director doesn't do it, and then he goes, yeah, but Hitchcock does. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. I mean, I fair. Do like do, I, I do like to have everything planned out when I'm showing up on a day. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I fucking hate being like. I guess this is what we're doing. <laughs> I hate it. I yeah, I I don't usually storyboard, but I like what we're doing and the timings are that I need to plan out everything or I lose my mind. I do very shitty storyboards, but... I, I do more shot lists where I write down, oh, I need a shot of this to convey this bit of the story and then we'll find out how we do it on the day, whatever looks nice. One of the best examples I think of us is like that of a combination of both things kind of working was the last day of when we shot the party scene for the crime pilot yeah. in uni where I knew exactly certain shots, but then I didn't storyboard some other shots. And before the actors came, yeah. me, you and Reese were just kind of like, I just kind of was like, I think we could do a shot like this. And then like, we just discussed the shot and then we're like, yeah, we can make that work. So like, yeah. we still planned it to be fair. It's not like the actors came on set and we were like, oh, I don't yeah. know, maybe, but. But I try not to draw it out because I'm always disappointed because whatever it, I think it's going to look like in my head, it never looks as good as that. So, you know. Yeah. But yeah, plan your shit, plan your filming. The fly, the fly stop flying. I'm going to try and get it. I'll wait. Fucking knobhead. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll wait for audio listeners to just hear that shit. <laughs> Boom. Fuck. Boom. Fucking knobhead. <laughs> Um, Bernard Herrmann wasn't able to conduct his score for this movie Moir Matheson conducted Herrmann's score for the movie because of this the music score in the movie lacks Herrmann's personal sound which he applied to every score he conducted I don't know exactly what that means but I think it's pretty good it's good good Joseph Cotton who we know from um, or, um, Citizen Kane. Um, he was the, uh, I forgot who he played. He was in Citizen Kane either way. Uh, Joseph Cotton, Lee J. Cobb, and Everett Sloan were also under consideration for the role of Gavin Elster. Imagine Lee J. Cobb in that role. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird choice, if anything. I no, I almost I tried to do an impression, but I couldn't think of a quote. I couldn't think of a quote, so I just didn't. So it's like a, I would have just ended up doing a 12 ranking main quote for no reason other than just to do a Lee J. Cobb impression. I've kind of done it, I've kind of done Jimmy Stewart, so you know I've I've kind of done that. Um, it is well known that Hitchcock loathed filming outdoors and would often spend ex extortionate amounts of money on studio sets to mimic exteriors. For example, a whole courtyard of apartments and rear window. Um, he had an exact replica of the entrance to Ernie's restaurant recreated on a soundstage. Uh, the expensive and highly detailed set was used in two quick shots for a total of 15 seconds on screen. That's the only thing you could do when you're Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, that's at, stupid. At that point of your career, at that point, that's like the equivalent of like Tarantino could shut down Hollywood Boulevard and just recreate 1969 Hollywood Boulevard because he's Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Like exactly. in, in 2018, he's Quentin Tarantino in 2018, then he could just do that. I couldn't, yeah. sh I couldn't shut down Church Street to do a film. No, exactly. But wait till 20 That's years. Funny. Wait 20 years. 
and I'll just shut down. Yeah, I'll, 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 shut, I'll shut down a city. <laughs> I'm in the pocket of Rishi Sunak. I can do it. <laughs> um, that is not true. I want to clarify that is not true. One bit. No, that was a reference to Oscar meeting in one time. You wouldn't know. I wasn't on. I wasn't on BBC Look North though, because exactly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> what a what a man. Uh, <laughs> I am not political in any way. Um, Hitchcock mm. had Hitchcock had con- contemplated editing out Judy's flashback sequence, uh, which reveals that she and Madeline are one and the same. Hitchcock was worried that audiences would lose interest in the movie movie if audiences knew this twist early. Two screenings for critics were subsequently held in New York City. One with the flashback and the other without it. The flashback, critics called it Hitchcock's best movie. Without it, critics called it one of Hitchcock's worst movie. With that in mind, the flashback was retained in the final movie. Yes. I don't think it necessarily had that I mean, big of an it, impact. It, but it, Yeah. Then I'd be kind of like, what? Is, what? Mm. I think, yeah, you definitely should have kept that, Alfred. Well done, sir. And another bit, uh, Hitchcock switched uh, the authors of the novel story from Paris to San Francisco and changed their ending in which the the enraged hero strangles the mystery woman upon discovering her trickery. Imagine if that's how just the film ended, where Jimmy Stewart just choked out Kim Novak. He He saw the necklace. Yeah. And then just... It just lunges. Yeah, very sweet. And the final bit of trivia for Vertigo. Marilyn Monroe campaigned heavily to be cast, but was rejected by Hitchcock because he feared her immense fame would overshadow everything else. As a person who enjoyed strict control over his projects, he passed on her, even though he had been on her approved list of directors to work with. Uh, A few years before she had starred in Niagara in 1953, uh, a film that was directed in such a Hitchcockian style by Henry Hathaway, that years later, some mistakenly assumed it was. Interesting. Uh, The similarities in structure and layout is quite interesting, and one wonders if Hitchcock was indeed a little influenced by it when making Vertigo, Uh, that the character is named Madeline, and commit suicide is also quite fascinating when one considers Monroe's own fate, uh, that the two of filmdom's most legendary figures would never collaborate together, will always be one of the great what-ifs of cinema. So that would have been interesting. I don't think I could have seen Marilyn Monroe in this role. No, I couldn't. But... but. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. It's not even like he it's not even like he passed in her in the sense like I don't like it. It's like you're gonna overshadow this. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be a Marilyn Monroe film. We can't fucking do yeah, that. Yeah. And that is all the trivia. And now we need to go on to letterbox, letterbox. reviews. Negative letterbox yeah. reviews. I have missed this, Robbie. Oh, same. I'm very excited this. about it. I've missed a lot of intermission, but I've missed a lot of here. Let's see if we can get some new additions into the Hall of Fame. So this is half the Hall a, of Fame. This is half a star reviews on Letterboxd mm-hmm. on Vertigo. 
half a star. Yawn. Come on, get a bit more funny. Come on. Very good. Very good. Uh, Clear and concise. I like it. Yeah. Half a star. Yeah. Ha ha. Vertigo sounds pretty cool. Shit. Moving on. Um, half a star. Wait, what? Right, hang on. Half a star. My mom lied to me. This is an awful movie. I would never in my right mind enjoy this absolute dumpster fire. What the fuck? Why is he calling his mom out? My mom lied to me. My mom lied to me. Fuck it. <laughs> and then it's uh, like, this movie sucks. Maybe his mom lied to me about something else and he's angry about it. Maybe, yeah. My mom lied it's to me. Fun. I love this film. Yeah. <laughs> My mom lied to me. Also, this movie sucks and I hate it. <laughs> um, half a star. Woman exists. Hitchcock. Time to die. Do you get it? Good. Yeah. Uh, oh, we're getting to some actual reviews now. This is why I like. Um, okay. I like witty one-liners and just weirdly constructive reviews about their negative opinions on a film. Half a star. James oh, yeah. Stewart... James Stewart's character gets progressively more dislikable as the film goes on, and yet he's never not framed as the one we're supposed to root for. Uh, boring film, overly convoluted plot, flat characters, no payoff, not even that many heights. I would... I agree. So, <laughs> I would not that many heights. I would disagree in the sense of, like... He's not framed as someone. Like he's, yeah. Like, I mean, I think he is framed as someone with men to be. Oh, wait, mate. Mm. But anyway, yeah. Uh, half a star. Her vape. Okay. Um, <laughs> half a star. This is the worst film I have ever seen in my life. I want to punch every character in the face. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is this a big one. Okay, right. Buckle in. Half a star. Half a star. That sure was a whole two hours of my life I won't ever get back. All I got, all I got was a headache and a numb butt from sitting in one spot and staring at fluorescent colour schemes for a whopping 125 minutes. No offence to you and your tedious convoluted plot lines and your incoherent characters and your fancy dolly shots, Mr. Hitchcock. But I got so bored halfway through your film that I started counting all my involuntary eye rolls. The total was 23 in the last hour alone, by the way. <laughs> right. Uh, but on, the, but on a more serious note, although the first half of the film was a lot stronger, it kind of fell off the deep end going into act three. And I can hear everyone crying. That was the point. But a movie isn't good if it's not compelling. And this film just never was all that compelling, honestly. Not even in the first half. Which at least had enough plot movement to keep me somewhat invested. P.S. The colours and contrast were kind of neat, though, I guess. That's maybe the only positive I can genuinely and, and wholeheartedly attribute to this film. P.P.S. I think I should have gotten paid $5 for every male gaze shot in this film, to be honest. Make the experience worth my while. Um, I semi-agree. 
I enjoyed the first half more than this person seemed to. Yeah. I didn't like the second very much. I feel there wasn't as many male gay shots as a lot of people might think. Personally. Yeah, I don't I don't know what would be that particularly. I mean, I kind of get it. Ish, but it's not, I don't know. I mean, I'm a yeah. bloke, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know yeah, if I'm yeah. seeing something that, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> half a star. While viewing this, I heard that Vertigo is one of the top rate movies of all time. This is inconceivable. Just off a of Princess Bride, watch a much better movie, in my opinion. Um, overacted, overrated, and overblown. I'd rather watch Sand Form from Glaciers. <laughs> Brilliant. Good. I kind of like, like that one the most so far. Yeah. Sandthor from Glaciers is good. It's a bit, that's a bit like a, a Blade sort of line. You know, like, well, yeah. Wesley Snoops is like some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I... Um, half a star plus the Green Hotel sign, Midge, minus everything else. Wait, so you're saying the Green Hotel sign and Midge were the best parts of the film, and everything else was a minus. Well, you're incorrect. Yeah, you're trending, lads. Justice for Midge. Justice. I am not contributing to the Midge cut. Uh, Show me the Midge cut. I want a Midge Disney Plus series. (laughs) Remember remember that rumoured spin-off series, spin-off film that was going to happen where it was an Aunt May origin film? Yes, I do, yeah, where she was a spy. Yeah. Yeah, that, was, that would have been good, wouldn't it? That would have been funny. Yeah. <laughs> I would never have seen it, but it would have been funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Half a star. Never wished the death of any fictional man as much as Scotty's. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah, pretty much. And the final one, half a star. If you like inconsiderate parking jobs... Boy, this is the film for you. I think I'll have to give it to the inconceivable one as the best one. I'd give it to the inconsiderate parking. Uh, that's a good that's quite fun. I don't think anyone is necessarily Hall of Fame worthy. No but one's in the Hall of Fame. A bit of disappointment, Vertigo, but that was fun. Yeah. That was funny. Good sound. Uh, so that is... The name of letterbox reviews for Vertigo. And with that being said, let's move in to the outro of this specific episode of it. Um, Next week's episode, I'll get everyone uh, excited for this one. Uh, The category that I get, the category that Robbie chose for this specific one is Spirited Away. no, it was animation, which means it's going to be yes. spirited away. There you go. So yes. it'll be the first animation we talk about on the animation podcast. And it, it'll be the very first film within the 21st century we talk about Ooh. in a podcast manner. Uh, looking forward to yes. re-watching this film. Uh, that'll be next week for you all when you're watching it. We'll discuss business after this, Robbie. Um mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, get excited for Spirit Away. It's on Netflix in the UK if you want to give it a go. I believe all the Ghibli films are on HBO Max if you're an American listener. So go to that. <laughs> Robbie, did you want to plug anything else before we 
Um, no, yeah, just, just a reminder about that charity football game I was on about. It's happening on the 29th. Um, so I, I'm guessing there, I'm guessing if you were going to donate, you'd have to do it online. And if you were to do that, there wouldn't be any way of actually saying that you're donating to the specific thing that we're doing. But it all goes to the same cause, to the same charity. So any donations of mine would be massively appreciated. So yeah, that, that's it really. That's it for me. I'll stick a link in the description to mind. So just yeah. go to mind, donate yes. there. Just just do that anyway. Uh, was, there, was there anything else? I, was gonna say. I don't think there was. There wasn't anything relevant to this. Um, I feel, I'm not sure if I was on top form here. <laughs> I, I, really? I feel, no, in the sense, it's been a while since we've been doing a podcast like this. I feel a bit rusty. And I was dipping in and out of of vaccine um, side effects. So we got like about halfway through and I just, I just felt my chest and my shoulders like start to ache a bit. And I started like feel a little bit more lethargic, but I still kept, I still try to keep up that Oscar W. Fitchett charisma that you all know. (laughs) That charisma that we have oozing from every pore. Because that's what people think of when they think of me. Yes. Yeah. Clearly mm-hmm. me. Uh, there was no, sorry, there was no um, impressions as such. There was half an impression. Should I do one this week? Go on. Um, oh, no, give me a voice. I'll, I'll... Jimmy Stewart, why not? We just. Um, okay, we're ready. <clears throat> Brilliant. Uh, uh, links in the description for everything that you need for intermission, letterboxed, Instagram. Uh, if you if you listen if you're watching this on YouTube, check us out on the Spotify's and the Apple podcast. And if you're listening to us through a podcast, check out the YouTube channel and all that. Um, I recently did a video. I uploaded a marathon video of when yeah. I uh, marathoned a load of Hirokazu Koreeda films. Um, I kind of want to do a little bit more shit like that some night, like every now and then. Um, I've I've got an idea for a new uh, for some a new sub-series on the Intermission YouTube channel. I'm not going to say anything because I don't know if I'll end up doing it, so I don't want to make promises and then just oh, yeah. do it. So we'll see if it happens. If it doesn't, yeah. it really wasn't relevant to you all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll see you all next week. We're spirited away. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, there was something else I was definitely going to say, but I completely forgot. Get vaccinated. Um, get vaccinated. Do that, yes. Do that. Um, yeah, get vaccinated because you know we can all have fun. Then we can all go yes. on. I'm gonna. I'm going to wrestle next week for the first time in a while. It's gonna be a whale of time. North wrestling are back, not in the Riverside, um, but in a brewery. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go to the Waterfront Festival probably in two weeks over in Hartlepool. Give me a wave if you see me. <laughs> um, I'll be there on Saturday because there's a band playing all of Fleetwood Max rumors. So that oh, should be fun. A little bit, a little bit of rumors. And yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, we're going to briefly talk after we stop recording. Rory, so I don't need to sign you. I don't need to say goodbye to you anyway, but uh, thank you to everyone for watching till next yeah. time. We shall see you later and sign us off, Robbie. Bye.